We're back, but we're not the only one who was back. This guy was back. Was it a good thing? Was it the most horrible thing ever in the history of the club? We'll talk about it. Or was watching the game with this guy the worst thing that ever happened to the club? Either way, we'll discuss it all on the Gooners Pod. Once upon a time, way back when there were only 9,000 Arsenal podcasts, six young men from various backgrounds, a young basketball prodigy with more trophies in the last 20 years than Totten and Hotspur, an Irish kid with a horrible haircut, a young Jewish nerd who hadn't discovered food yet, a child from Hemel Hempstead who didn't want to be English no more. A handsome young man who learned to play football on the hard streets of Disney World. And a young Mexican AC Milan fan. Hatched a plan to take over the world of Arsenal podcasts. But then these boys became men. Jared. Ewan. Magic. Aston. Andy, and Miguel, and the rest, my friends, is history. And now, all these years later, you tune in every so often to hear their incredible takes, their football knowledge, and their sensual advice. But now, it's gone too far. You, our fans, are at long last witness to season seven 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 welcome to the gooners pod we are back and i don't just mean the podcast i mean the arsenal the arsenal are back as a matter of fact not is back and uh and and we can't be happier about the result but before we get to the result I just want to ask, go around because it is the festive season, and uh, and and we've got we've got a faceless, hard to pronounce, nameless uh, guy down here named Ewan, who uh, I would just like to ask, how was your uh, what do they call it Irish Hanukkah a couple of days ago? <laughs> yeah, is that what it's no, called? It was, it, it was good, and I feel I sort of feel I don't know whether to, should I feel guilty about talking to, about Christmas to you? Is that what is that an insult or is it a it's an insult that you, that, you, that you think it's an insult. I mean, I could take it. People <laughs> me, when people wish me Merry Christmas, I say thank you and wish them it back. No, you don't. And, I've seen it last year. Someone said, Happy Christmas, Mike, and you spat in their face and kicked their kid. Well, it was awful. Know, that, was, that was me last year. There's the new me. And there's, there's, <laughs> there's Mike 12.0. <laughs> and, uh, and I've reinvented myself as a nice guy. Uh, and I don't bat up people. No, I, I think it's just a nice thing to say. So, uh, so yeah, I, you know, I, I might call it Irish Hanukkah to you, but, <laughs> but, uh, but you can call it whatever the fuck you want. I call yeah. I call Kwanzaa Black Hanukkah if that makes you feel any <laughs> any sort of way. Why do you waste all that time? Why don't you just call it Blonica? Blonica. <laughs> <laughs> because that sounds like a heavy metal band. Uh, by the way, Owen, are you literally on a potato right now? Is that why we can't see you on the on the screen? What's going, we're going on? We're going through all of the uh, what are they called um, stereotypes? <laughs> the cancelable offenses is what they call it in court. Yeah, Owen, are are you explain why we're not being graced with your 
face. I mean, did, did you get a new face for Hanukkah? And is it just like setting in yet? Uh, well, no, look, first of all, uh, in regards to the potato um, accusations, um, whilst uh, I'm not sitting on a potato, I feel like I am turning into a potato that I've eaten that much of them over the past few days. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> um, and second of all, the reason um, you can't see my obviously beautiful face is uh, because my commitment to the Arsenal have uh, has destroyed my laptop uh, through the three o'clock kickoffs games. Everybody knows that they're embargoed in this part of the world and um, questionably legal, not illegal means to watch them have been experimented with, and that has uh, I love how uh, everything's in the left my sense. laptop. Everything's in the passive yeah. has it's, been experimented with. <laughs> Hypothetically, yeah, yeah, no, maybe, never do that now. <laughs> yeah, may, maybe legal. Um, my laptop's fucked. It, it's it's done. So I'm on my phone. Now, now, when was our last? What it was the was it the Wolves game before the World Cup that that we last played at 10 a.m. Because it wasn't 10 a.m. yesterday. Yesterday's game was on Amazon Prime. Um, we didn't have a game for. A Can month we be honest about months. something? Why, why are you Why are you entertaining this? Like you don't get like your laptop destroyed watching illegal streams. Otherwise, half the world's like would half the Arsenal fans out there wouldn't have computers. Let's it's porn. Let's, it's let's specifically inter- porn and probably potato porn. Let's let's <laughs> let's entertain. Now, is it does it go into the potato or does the potato go into it? Um, <laughs> let's let's just entertain it for a moment. And say that you were trying to get one of the 3 p.m. UK time games. You've had mm-hmm. six weeks to mm-hmm. at least to repair said laptop from, mm-hmm. from that fate that it met. Um, and, and so your dedication to the arsenal may be high, but your dedication to this podcast is not. I have to say. And haven't you been on like nine other podcasts in the last three weeks from your computer? Mm-hmm. Audio only. Um, no, I haven't. Uh... The laptop's super fucked up. It's it's really bad. And look, in in Ashton, very cheap accusation to throw against somebody. <laughs> uh, the pornographic material is the cause of this because I'll have you know that I I have no need to access the internet to um to see pornographic material. I've got people like Ola, um on on in WhatsApp, and I've got people like Mike for any weird fetish shit that you want. It's That's true. Really, no need. I, I don't think I've ever experimented with myself um, i'm heavily the, in, i'm heavily uh, into uh, bell porn <laughs> i just <love laughs> you've never experimented with yourself dude i rock my world okay right. oh um, no he just interrupted me I, I, I experimented like fuck um teenage years probably the, the, i'd say my peak years were probably between the years of 2004 to 2013 maybe that was my prime well, I, I, I think we ought to start to get to Arsenal before people start tuning in. Um, Absolutely. People who, who are on the podcast we're, normally. We're live. One last thing. Yeah, yeah, one <laughs> last thing. If we're going to roast um, um, Ewan for, for doing all the other podcasts, can we please roast this guy who will show up to the show but won't be on it? Like, does he hate us? Is it because I'm here? Is it because there's like a one minority quota thing going on? Or You know, I don't know what it is. And speaking of that, I, I you know, I don't want to – call you our driver today Aston, because the last last time i did that you you know you you were like what you think i'm always you just think i'm the driver well that's because you said boy afterwards but, but you also <laughs> but you are driving this podcast you are driving this podcast so i am going to hand the keys of the gooner podcast empire over to you don't fuck it up 
oh god this reminds me of when i was six and i my friend handed me the keys to his four-wheeler and i drove it into a tree i was about to um, say i was about to say don't drive it into a ditch but actually please drive us out of the ditch that we're currently in. well well i mean all this holiday talk is is filler because there's been nothing but filler um that we've had to do because we haven't had any arsenal right because the world cup interruptions and now we're back where where this is an actual game this isn't a um this isn't a friendly this isn't against leon juventus that that aren't playing for several weeks this is the premier league and this was a chance for us to come back and make a statement and and going into this game how are you guys feeling with this west ham with everything that's kind of going on how are you guys feeling going in well i look you, I should, you, say should, that you should ask a particular person that so that we don't start oh, talking Jesus. over each other let the man maybe he's going for the conventional flow type thing michael give the guy some breathing room god damn it <laughs> Um, look I think the the thing that everybody was worried about is the word that we've seen thrown about uh, with this World Cup is unprecedented you know it's it's, Mm -hmm. it's the break it's the break mid-season and and again even over the course of that break when I was talking to other fans from other clubs and they were commenting on our position I always responded by saying look I've still got tempered expectations because at this stage of the season normally there's 20 games played and at this stage now there's 14 so it's completely different landscape than anything we've seen before really um the one thing i think we're all slightly concerned about was uh, what kind of impact was this break going to have on us you know that everybody says winning is a is a is a habit and you have to just carry momentum and that this break could really interrupt that so it was always going to be very, very interesting to see how we how we come back from that. I personally think that whilst you could look at it as a as a negative, you could also look at it as a positive. You know, we've got a lot of uh, players in our dressing room that have never been in the position, uh, have never felt the weight of of being top of the league, all the expectation, the media coverage, and I think the World Cup has potentially given them a little bit of respite and a little bit of breathing space to. F- find their feet and get used to the pressure of being in the position they're in. You know, sometimes the fixtures come that second fast that I think everybody doesn't really even get a chance to settle into the position they're in. And and for me, this could potentially be a really big positive, even though obviously, you know, the injuries, which I'm sure we'll talk about in depth a bit, a bit more later on. But uh, yeah, for me, especially players like Eddie and Caddy, you know, having those few weeks to, to really sort of mentally prepare himself, not uh, you know mentally prepare himself and physically prepare himself in terms of on the training ground with Mikel Arteta to try and rectify some of the holes in his games that people would say he has. So uh, yeah, there was a lot, a lot of questions, but I think we've got some answers. One thing well, I know that he was doing was practicing that spin move because he did it like four <laughs> times yesterday. And I know yeah. we'll, we'll talk, we'll break down the action, but like, but I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely touch on Eddie and Ketty a little later, but I think what Owen kind of picked up on there, and, and I think that goes understated, was we were the last game of the first set of fixtures coming back. Amazon Prime was there, um, NBC was there at the Emirates. Thierry Henry was in the audience, uh, was was there. Um, Josh and Stan Kroenke was there. Arsene Wenger was there. There was a lot of actual pressure going into this game. I, matter of fact, I you know as soon as we started hearing things like Gabriel Jesus not being available, uh, there was some questions about um, ESR. There's a lot of 
like wanting us to fail. I could almost feel, I don't know about you guys, uh, Mike, maybe you can speak to this, but it seemed like uh, a lot of fans out there were waiting for Arsenal to fall over. Yeah, I mean, we we have outkicked our coverage. We're punching. We're doing all this stuff, presumably, this season so far. And, you know, you, you wait for one small thing if you're either a pessimistic Arsenal supporter or an apprehensive or, you know, maybe you could say jaded. You could say heartbroken from the past. I mean, any of a number of things. Um, or if you are anti-Arsenal, as is the media, as is a lot of opposing fans, obviously, you could look at this and say anything that disrupted their flow would have been fine. When we lost to United, even though we were the better team, people said, okay, well, now they've lost. Wait for it all to start happening. And we came back from that game as strong as ever. Uh, when the World Cup happens, when we lose arguably our best player to injury during the World Cup, when dude barely even plays, um, you know, all these things, it's just like, okay, well, now they're going to start falling down the table. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I haven't felt that a little bit. Like, you know, hey, would, we're all bargaining. We're all like, would you still take top four? Even though we're, you know, we were five points clear and are now seven possibly, five, somewhere going to end up between five to seven points clear at the end of tomorrow. Um, and with a game in hand on most teams. And, and you just you just kind of expect it to happen, but that's what I'm seeing different from this team so far. And again, we're only 14 games in, you feel like this is the second half of the season coming. It's more like the second 60% or 70% of the season coming. Um, but the mentality of these players, the man management of the, of, of our coach, Mikel Arteta, um, and the the vacuuming out of the suck ass loser mentality, and I just I'm talking about guys like Mustafi. I mean, just losers in every single way, shape, and form. From the being the first person to put their arm up after a goal goes in that they're responsible for, to just every look and attitude and 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 facial expression. Just we we are devoid of most of those players now. Just about all of those players are gone. Um, and, and, you know, doing this and, and <laughs> but, but, but like we, we have a whole new frame of mind now on this team and, and the frame of mind is to fight, to, to pursue, to, to persist, to do a bunch of stuff, starting with PUR, uh, to purr like a fine tuned machine and like um, a murder sacker even. And, yeah. Well, you know, and even exactly. Even I'm not calling him a loser. I'm just calling him a purr. Even <laughs> um, even going a goal down yesterday, uh, people were like, "Oh, well, there we go." And I watched the game yesterday with mostly West Ham fans because for some reason Andy's family is is full of West Ham's, Ham fans, and and no, he couldn't go an extra thirty minutes to go to Orlando so we could watch the game with you. We had to watch because it he with, hates me. I, I mean. I, I I don't understand it, but we no. We, so we had to watch it with uh, you know with with his West Ham family. <laughs> that must have been fun. Uh, I mean, boy, were they happy after that! Oh, and and by the way, if you listen to them, that was definitely a penalty. Is that you beside him? <laughs> Shut <laughs> up! <laughs> it's, it's West Ham, Mike. Uh, they, like, every team like, has a, it, it, he's magic iron. <laughs> but it looks like if you and Danny fucked. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> That's but, me but, in his belly. No, but but I mean, 
everyone's just waiting for it to happen. And by the end of the game, they were like, yeah, well, you know what? The better team won. Uh, you guys are the better team. Thought we might have had you. And, and they were like, yeah, talent will out. Um, but yeah, this is a different frame. This is a different frame of mind, different mentality. And and look, I'm not going to claim that we're going o- almost invincible this season with, uh, you know, we one are lost and one and one draw and then, and that's going to be it. But uh, we are better equipped to handle, you know, darts thrown at us than we ever have been in the last 20 years. Uh, and, and I love to see it. I mean, yesterday I wasn't convinced. I was a little worried. I thought maybe we come out, we play it, you know, and the first half wasn't, we were wasting our chances. We were seeing the difference between Eddie Niketia and, and Gabby Jesus, um, which I think, you know, in certain areas of the game are very clear to see, but we, we survived, we overcame. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting? We were talking about that time and that change that's happening now at Arsenal. Three years to the day, Mikel Arteta took over the team. Interestingly, contrastingly, so did like three years, like one week from today, I think Moyes took over West Ham, right? And how different a position these two teams seem to be in over over that time. And you hinted on the mentality of the players. And, you know, a lot of the World Cup players have been coming back uh, overweight. We've got Calvin Guardiola talking about Calvin Phillips. We've got Sancho not even training with United. There was a lot of controversy and a lot of big calls to make. And, you know, game day happens. Mikel had a lot of big uh, decisions to make. What did you think of that lineup, Owen? Yeah, I mean, well, Saliba like, I... coming straight back in, that's a huge call. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, look, when you when you sort of scope through the back line, look, I think when you start from the top and work your way back, I think it picks itself, um, essentially. But I think when you get to the back line, that's where the potential decisions were there to be made. Um, you know, Alexander Shinchenko coming back, he's still um, not fully up to speed. He didn't really take part in any of the, I was going to say, pre-season friendlies, mid-season friendlies. Um as well, Tommy Asu is struggling too with that long-term injury. But really, I think what Mikel Arteta wanted was some some form of consistency, some form of continuity in that back line. And to be honest with you, whether it's stylistically or in terms of quality, I'm just not sure that he um, has faith in Cedric Suarez. But most of all, most of all, the thing that I look at when I look at the decision to play William Saliba is is that Mikel Arteta knew we've just mentioned it, the media pressure, the, the, the fan pressure, the, the fan panic to a certain extent um, with the absence of Gabriel Jesus. This was a big game in terms of the morale of not only the team but the fan base itself, the, the response from the media. We all know what way it would have went if Arsenal had lost this game. You know, oh, this is, as Mike mentioned, this is what we said would happen. You know, they would only make it to this part. And then there's all that pressure. So I think Mikel Arteta knew exactly just how big this game was. And if, let's face it, anybody who supports Arsenal look, looked at that franchise and we all know that William Saliba should have been in that starting 11 for France, absolutely. Am I disappointed? No, fuck no, because I don't want one of our most valuable players going out and potentially getting injured. But I think William Saliba, as well as that, looking at him as a person, as his personality, the type of character that he is, he would have been extremely disappointed not to get more minutes at the World Cup. And I think that if he had to come back and was stuck on the bench, 
that he may not have been overly pleased about that either. I think he's the type of character that wants to get stuck back in and wants to get back playing football. You know, he didn't play many minutes, so he's still relatively fresh. Um, yeah, yeah. I just think that to leave him out would have been a massive call that if things hadn't went well, would have been another stick to beat Arteta with. Well, Owen, on, on that, on exactly what you're saying there, him coming back from the World Cup, not getting many minutes in, the, in, in his legs. Let's We're going to go through the game now. And one of the first things, obviously, that happened was a penalty conceded by William Saliba. Do you think that that played at all from the fact that he didn't play? And and it was that possibly a mistake throwing him in too early? Or do you think that he needed that to get back into the game? No, no look, I... To be honest with you, I, I don't really blame him very much whatsoever. Um, I think that, and this is why I don't blame him at all, is it, simply because what we seen yesterday, that break, the 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 sort of situation that we find ourselves in is all trickle-down effect from this high line, this high press, this aggressive style that we try to play. If you look at William Saliba, he had to shuffle over to that position because Gabriel went to Tramwell and Ariel Jewell. Um, and stepped out of the back line so everybody had to shuffle over um, leaving everybody a little exposed to, I know a lot of people nowadays like to blame Gary Oh you cut out Owen you there? I think the potatoes cut out, but I think he was. Uh, he, I think he was commenting on the fact that Gabriel, which I have seen a lot of hate. You know, he, he's a player like Inkedia Mike that I feel gets a lot of sh- like people are ready to to go in on Gabrielle. What do you think? They shouldn't. I mean, Gabrielle is is I mean, he's incredible. He's he's like one of the best defenders I think I've seen at the club for like a decade. It, it, it's just it's a lack of, of having anything else to complain about is what it is. I mean Gab, Gab, I Gabrielle Oh there yeah, you are. Yeah you're back. yeah right sorry because that was a good point I was going to make believe it or not. It was uh, <laughs> no, no. So essentially, what I was saying is, Gabriel is being asked to do a job, which is which is lead the press from the back, get the line high up, and unfortunately, football is a game of mistakes. Mistakes happen. We we score goals from the opposition's mistakes. They score goals from ours. Thankfully, recently we've been making a lot less mistakes than the opposition's. But essentially, what I'm saying is, the reason William Saliba was exposed there was because of the system, more so than tired legs or his position or himself. And to be honest with you, I know there was a grazing contact, but we can have a debate about that if you want. But I personally don't think that that, that was a penalty. I don't think there was enough contact to even impact his movement whatsoever. Uh, yeah, Owen, to be honest, like that's not a foul anywhere else on the pitch. Like, let's be real here, right? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely not. It's, it's, but look, the problem is the letter of the law that they imply is that if there's any contact whatsoever, uh, that it's deemed a penalty. But if you look at Jared Bowen's movement, his foot, everything, uh, when, when the contact happens, there's no diversion of movement. He's still moving forward in the one direction. His foot doesn't change direction. There's doesn't knock him off a stride. I don't think he's overly in control of the ball when he knocks it past Saliba. It's just, uh, to be honest with you, uh, Michael Oliver's cunt. And I think that he was probably looking for an excuse to give a penalty off the body, he was very quick to blow the whistle. But look, these things happen, um, and it was just—it was another good test of our resolve to to pick ourselves up from a bad situation. And once again, the character of the squad prevailed. I think. 
Mike, devil's advocate, if that was Saka going through, would you call that a penalty or would you or would you be okay if it uh it didn't get called? I would have been frustrated if it wasn't called, but I mean again, it it's it, it was so I mean again, I was sitting here with West Ham fans talking about how there was contact and the fact that he took four steps doesn't matter because uh you know, because he he was put off of his run. I'm fine with it, especially now. Uh, I'm fine with it being <laughs> called a penalty because there was contact. And, uh, you know, but I just, I, I think that's kind of, it, it was well-earned. Uh, you know, he, he kind of had Saliba beat. Um, he might have gotten in on goal if, if, if that hadn't happened. If that was the way we lost the game, I would have been frustrated and aggravated about it. But I don't know that it was the wrong call. Um, if that contact was there and if his stride was put off on it. Yeah, you can go another couple of steps before you physically fall down. The fact that he didn't go down right away probably is to the player's credit more than it is saying that a uh, that a, that a foul didn't exist. So I, I I don't know. I don't know that they call that everywhere on the pitch though, which completely goes against that. Where you know if you see that kind of a tackle in the middle of the pitch, maybe you just don't call it. Do, uh, do you think? Do you think, Mike? And this is what I this is sort of my counter-argument to that. Do you think if, if that's Bakayo Saka that we get awarded the penalty? No, <laughs> no, not. because no, because he doesn't, no, he doesn't get. Well, even in, even in this game, did you see the way that, uh, uh, what was his name? Cresswell basically like was pulling Bakayo Saka's shirt off at every point of this game and somehow managed to stay on the pitch the whole time. Um, and, and that was kind of the story of the first half to be, to be fair. Like the first half, it, we didn't really kind of click the Saliba, the way the Saliba gave away the uh, penalty kind of was emblematic of a lot of things, not clicking to like, we weren't not clicking defensively, but in the attack, we just couldn't kind of find the final ball. I think that after the penalty, uh, basically West Ham said, all right, that's it. Two banks of four, let's go. You know, and and just tried to basically stuff eleven players inside of their box, and it was up to Arsenal to try to break it down. And we we really didn't in that first half. I, I don't know. It, I, hate it keep, I, hate keep, I hate to keep referring to the West Ham fans I was watching with, but yeah. but I will because it, it is sometimes fascinating to to hear the other side of it during mm -hmm. in real time. As long as it's not them like standing over you telling you how much your team sucks, um, which it wasn't to be fair, but. Um, you know, they basically said after the goal, they're like, now, are we going to go into a shell and just defend and park the bus? If we do, I think we're going to lose this game. If we if we keep attacking, then we have a shot. And I was thinking, no, you probably should park the bus because, if you know, we'll we'll kill you on the counterattack if you keep, uh, you know, if you, if you keep pushing and leaving your, your your back four, which isn't particularly talented open. Um and I and, and I think we did kind of see them take a more more defensive, uh, you know. It, it, there was a lot of traffic in their in their box, and we had a lot of possession. And I was a little worried, especially without Gabby Jesus, that we weren't going to be able to pick that lock and get through. My worries in the second half were were uh, were set to set to rest though, because we certainly figured out a way to do it. And then there was, the game was just over at that point. You know, it, it's you, you interesting. 
Uh, no, I was going to lead it to, to you, Owen. It's interesting that, that you say all of this because Arsenal are now a problem that every team in the league has to figure out, right? And you watched West Ham and West Ham fans try to figure it out. Owen, do you think that this is going to be like symptomatic of, of what we're what we should expect from here on out from teams trying to play against us? Yeah, to a certain extent. And, and just what I, what I was going to say is that um, – you talk about a game of two halves, you know, that's the old cliche that people say that, and this certainly was, I think that, I think that in the first half, there was probably not many people that would have been sitting thinking this wasn't all of our worries. You know, everybody talking about can Martin Allen and Saka combine with Eddie, can uh, Martin Odegaard figure out how to supply him with, with the balls that he needs to succeed. Um, and I think when the, when the halftime whistle blew, there was a lot of people nervous, thinking, "Fuck, this this isn't going to work." You know, this it just doesn't look like it's clicking. And and to be honest with you, I still don't think that all of those questions or or uh, you know uh, worries have been squashed at this point. I think there's still a lot of questions to be answered around around Eddie and and what he can do. But uh, certainly, I think Mike hit the nail on the head absolutely, which was that. When West Ham scored that goal, parking the bus was their best bet because it was always going to be, can we get a goal to make them, have to encourage them to come out and start to play again? Because once once they started to do that, I knew 100% that that three points were there um, for, for, us to, for us to take. Yeah, they were, uh, they were essentially, they, their role at that point was to just not allow two goals. Yeah, I mean yeah, the one goal. I, I don't think there was any envisioning that they were going to shut us down for. You know, when was the goal scored? Thirty minutes in, twenty-five minutes mm-hmm. in. But but uh, uh, what what I was going to lead on to there was when I was talking about uh, Eddie. Not only is it going to take Eddie time to adapt and get in there, but I think that other people's roles in the team had to change to a certain extent. I think yeah. when you look at when you think of, when you look at Granite Jacka. You know, everybody's talked about, you know, this resurgence of his Arsenal career and the way he's playing further forward. And it's amazing what 10 yards further forward can do to a player. It's absolutely unbelievable that that, that the, the game is so tactically detailed that that can make, make such a difference. But what I'll say is that Gabriel Jesus has a tendency to drop forward and get involved with building up play. Eddie and Kadia doesn't really do that. And I think what we've seen yesterday in the second half especially was that I think we've seen Granite Xhaka um, take up more of a role at being a creator. We've seen him with Gabriel Jesus being a finisher in terms of arriving into the box quite late uh, in phases of play to try and take you know rebounded shots or layoff shots. But I think what we've seen in the second half yesterday was that Xhaka identified, right, Eddie isn't dropping anymore. There's too much onus on Martin Odegaard to create individually. I'm going to have to start to get up and, and sort of assist him with that. And I think that took a bit of the pressure off as well, helped fill some spaces further up the pitch. Uh, but look, I think it, it, it's an evolution. It's going to get better and better and better over time. More games, the more used to they get playing together. Um, is it the permanent solution? I don't think so. Probably not. But we've all seen that Eddie and Kelly is more than willing and, and I think able to, to fill that gap until the return of his you know, with saying that, I, I want to go through the goals one by one, and I think that we can we, we can touch on the Eddie and Kedia, um, the, the talk around him when we get to his goal, because I think that that's really important. But what I want to um, – something that Mike picked up was 
we had to kind of figure out how to break down a, a West Ham side. And the guy that's supposed to be in charge of that is the guy that's the captain of the team and Martin Odegaard. And you, I really thought coming to this first goal, like right before the first goal was happening, he was doing everything to try to wiggle some space in or or or, or kind of find a gap. And I know that that was a, a, a fluff shot, even though I want to say that Martin Odegaard is probably the only player on the pitch where you can go, did he mean that though? Did, what 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 did was that a shot? <laughs> like you know what I mean? He's the one guy that has that technical ability, and then that and then there's Bakayo Saka with the the touch of an angel. I mean, my God, the first touch to just cushion that ball and straight into his path, and then one shot, bang out out of his feet. Great, great stuff. What did you think about that first goal, Mike? Uh, I'm trying to remember it now because uh, I had already started on the wine at that point. Um, no, it, it's, I, I just, I, I want to just talk about Odegaard. You, you, when you, when you mentioned Odegaard, I just started thinking of this whole train of thought on him and how much I, I just think that that month of relaxed training, I, I think he's going to be unstoppable in the second half of the season. I know how much you love the guy. Um, you know, yeah. he's, he's your pal. He really adds to the team. And speaking of adding people to the team, <laughs> does, does he want in? With that hair? He's showing up with that hair and a muted microphone? <laughs> wow. Have our- you have you have you been living in the fucking Everglades for two it's, months? What the fuck is wrong with your head? It's always bald people that give me shit over my hair. Damn! <laughs> <laughs> he went right for the throats. Whoa. Okay. Oh, and with and with perhaps more modulation on his microphone than anyone's ever had on their microphone before, so this could this could end up being a short-lived experience. But um, modulation, what is that? that that's what you tell me. Yeah, your, your mic's coming off. your microphone and put it back in. Yeah. As you, oh, as you're oh, very good at doing. Pull it out. Put it back in. Repeat. And repeat. This, yeah. That's uh, why he has so many kids. Oh, huh? back ba- back to Martin Odegaard. Can I just say? this i can't remember the last footballer that i have enjoyed watching more than martin Odegaard, and not just in that performance i mean like since he's arrived at arsenal this guy's tech no fuck that guy um <laughs> this guy's technical technical ability is absolutely off the charts i think and this is maybe going out there i'm not comparing i'm not saying he's on the same level but i think dennis Burkamp is maybe the last player out I watch where I look at him and think, Jesus, you just move like a ballerina on the football pitch where everything's just so effortless. He, his brain, I think he must see things at half the speed that everybody else sees things. Just the way the game progresses around him and he's so calm, you know. Cruyff turned just to absolutely annihilate those. <laughs> to, like, unbelievable, you know. There, and, there's, a, there's a saying in, in uh, American football, especially it, it, mostly for quarterbacks, where, where go you know, hops. The, the biggest difference between, you know, amateur college play and the professional play is the speed of the game. And that at some point it either slows down for you or doesn't. Now, the game isn't slowing down. It's, sl- it's your mental processing powers, your ability to see things before they happen, to anticipate to have an understanding. And that's, that's what Martin Odegaard, even with eight years in the, in the kind of professional ranks uh, at the high, you know, at the highest levels of La Liga and, and Norway and, and Premier League and national team, 
Um, I think the game is still slowing down for him, and that's the scary thing. I mean, he has every bit of ability to be what Prime Mesut Ozil was, and I'm not. I'm going there. I mean, he has every. He's. I'm not saying he's there, but he has every, got more. I think he's got more. I think he's got potential to have more. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. I, uh, Thierry Henry, to, to borrow some a quote from him, if you remember when he was talking about Ozil, to both of your points, he used to say, when you watch Ozil on the ball, he just has time. You know, he would just go, he goes, he, in his, in his cool French, you know, he, he just has time, like, like an extra step, like, you know, and as he was talking about Ozil, and I think the same applies uh, to Odegaard. I mean, to do a Cruyff turn to a nutmeg, and that was only like in the beginning of his bag of tricks. I saw he, I, I can't count. I don't have enough fingers to count the amount of times he put, um, he gave him West Ham players the eyes, made them go one way and then just kick the ball the other way with incredible accuracy, you know? Um, I, I don't want to get too, because I do think that we need to go over um, the Odegaard stuff, but let, let's did, get Did you like how second. I changed the subject? Because at this moment in time, I am struggling to remember the soccer goal and exactly what happened. <laughs> well, then let's go to the Martinelli goal. I, mean, I remember her- that one. Shot it near post. Probably poor goalkeeping from the uh, from the ex-Arsenal man, but uh, well, yeah. Well, hers was it was it uh, Flabby Hamsky or Super Martinelli? What what was more responsible for that second goal? Mike check. Ah, beautiful, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you're okay. good. It, no, it, it, it was good. it was one of those situations where where Fabianski had to where Fabianski had to cover you know the the six yard box as well. So it, it was it was kind of caught between two minds. It was it was a sneaky shot from Martinelli. I mean, those shots normally don't go in, but. You know, if you're if you're Fabianski, it's you're damn if you do, damn if you don't, right? Because he knows you have a player like Eddie Nketiah that's always down the box, always in the middle of the the area. So he he was trying to play it safe. You know, he gave Martinelli a, a few extra yards in that in that post between Fabianski and the post, and yeah, Martinelli capitalized. It's not the first time he does that near post shot because he does it a shitload of times. It just doesn't always work out for him, but. It always leaves the goalie having to make a decision. So this time it pays out. And I mean, I know you guys touch about our World Cup players coming back, but Martinelli is one of those players that his his star rank only went up with the World Cup, similar to Saka. And it was one of those things where now I'm going to digress a little. I'm going to take the, the mantle from Magic Mike here and, and say, <laughs> as far as contracts go, it, it you know, Martinelli and Saka made themselves look like star and maybe Saliba. It might have not worked out the way he initially thought it might. So it's really curious, interesting to me see, to see how those contract renewals are going to pay out. But Martinelli, man, back at it. He was he was a star be- before the World Cup. He was a star the game that he played for Brazil. He did not look out of place, did not make Vinny Jr. Uh, nobody missed him that, that game, even, you know, as a dead rubber. But He's back, causing chaos. He's an absolute fucking menace to defend against, and he got himself in the goal seat. Ironically, I thought he had probably the worst first half of any Arsenal player of that mm. game. Um, I mean, really? He, yeah, first half. Um, he just looked. He looked a little bit like. I mean, and and he looked he, so sharp for Brazil. He put in. He put in a super good cross on his left foot. I'm not saying so, I'm not saying he did every single thing wrong. No, that, no, that, that was a that, that was, was sarcasm. Yeah. I'm pretty sure because he wow. he flew that motherfucker all yeah, the way over right. to the other yeah, flag. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look, I I just it, it was noticeable that when you have a player who's a nine or a ten on a regular basis and he pulls a six 
in a half. You can understand that. You don't get frustrated at it, but 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 you can notice it because it just isn't the incredible, phenomenal play that you're used to seeing. The 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 changing the game, the put, strapping the team to his back, and and the nice thing is he didn't need to. I mean, yeah, we were down at halftime, uh, and I wouldn't put us being down on him by any stretch of the imagination. It was a it was kind of an against the run of run of play penalty, but. Um, but he sorted it out and had a great second half, and I, you know, I I, I loved it. And and I think uh, Demsek makes a great point that, you know, Martinelli and KT don't have the same amount of experience playing together this season as maybe even Martinelli and 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 Tomiyasu do. Um, you know, most of the most of the fourteen games I think have been either Tomiyasu or Zinchenko, and and so. You know, maybe there was a little bit of miscommunication there. And and these are the things that you'd like for us to be able to work out, if not during friendlies like Luton Town and that sort of thing, in wins against low, you know, low mid-table to bottom of the table opponents. And and obviously that's what happened. But so happy to see him get on the score sheet and uh, and Saka's goal, uh, which for whatever reason, I, I think I just got so excited when it happened that I forgot what had happened in the seconds before. Um, I mean, they just they took the game over. Do you blame that? Uh, I'll, I'll toss this at Neil on because I know that you're uh, slightly more tactical than both Mike's on the pod here and Aston is hosting. So do you think that's more down to tactics or just Tierney falling into his old ways? I, I noticed that Zinchenko, when he plays left back, air quotes here, he's pretty much a midfielder, right? So he's, he's always in the midfield. He doesn't often get into that final third space like Tierney does, but Tierney was really active, just cross after cross after cross in the first and second half. So do you think it was kind of like Martinelli is kind of like, hey, guy, you're not respecting my my box here where I'm supposed to be playing and attacking versus Zinchenko has a habit of even Tomiyasu, for that matter, when he plays left back, they both have a tendency of not going quite to the final third. They, they lay back a little bit and help out in defense. Do you think that was a Tierney? Thing, just falling into old habits of the Unai Emery slash early days of Arteta whooping in 20 crosses a game, or you think it was more tactical and maybe Arteta asked Tierney to push that high up? Who, who are you asking? He was asking uh, Owen. He was asking Owen because he's more tactical than Yeah, that's what yeah, I thought. He is he's tactical mm-hmm. AF. That that said, I don't yeah. know if he's there or not. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. Potato. Um, <laughs> Uh, you got me, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's funny. Look, <laughs> it's funny that uh, you say that because I was thinking about this earlier, and as I mentioned, fo- it's a, football is so amazing that one tactical adjustment can have such a massive knock-on effect. And I think that we're seeing that most of all when that change for Tierney and Zinchenko did happen, because I actually thought maybe it wasn't exposed to the to the level that it was massively noticeable, but I think that. Uh, when Sinchenko came on, he defensively looked pretty weak and pretty vulnerable. And I think that's because Gabriel Jesus now, how the fuck does missing a striker affect somebody who's playing left-back? And it's simply because when we lead that high press, you know, press in the back line, and we're talking about these subtle differences between Eddie and Gabriel Jesus, is that Eddie doesn't hustle or harry the, def- uh, the defenders like Gabriel Jesus does. So when we have that high line there and um, uh, Alexander Zinchenko starts to step into midfield 
you see that diagonal ball come over the top and that can leave him very exposed. So again, it's funny, these small differences that can expose players at the opposite end of the pitch that maybe people wouldn't look at that often. And I think to a certain extent, that's what we were getting with Kieran Tierney and um, Gabriel Martinelli. I think that because Eddie is a player that plays so, so central, when Gabriel Jesus is playing, you often see Gabriel Martinelli making that diagonal dart run in across the box toward the centre of the goal. And I think there, that's where Kieran Tierney would have flourished, maybe, you know, because he would have had all that space out wide. But I think with Eddie there, um, that that space just wasn't being afforded, that Martinelli was having to stay slightly wider. And as you said, that's why they were almost um, blocking each other's pass to advance the ball at that flank. So, Look, again, these are all small things that can be worked out over time. Like you're saying there, even though these dudes are training on a regular basis together, being on the pitch in high-pressure situations is only going to um, sort of show the flaws of, of, of each individual and, and, and it'll give them a chance to work that out. I'm sure that's something that Mikel Arteta would probably be keen to get acted out um, in this week's training sessions. You know, first of all, uh, I, I want to say something to that. But first, I want to say, hey, by the way, hello, Dimsick. Hey, Mark, we see you in the chat. Hey, Colin, thank you guys for joining us on the podcast. You know, we know we kind of throw these around willy nilly. And we do appreciate the fact that you guys always show up. So, you know, huge big up to the fans out there. Um, like us if you like us. Trevor, um, BX, Patrick, uh, all you guys. And and uh and and we do we we will we will be getting on a regular schedule. I promise. There's just been a lot going on, <laughs> lot going on in lives. Uh, so, so so it's interesting that you say that because I actually disagree a little bit. I I was actually Dennis, very cognizant of. Then fuck you, Austin. Okay, this is exactly why I'm not on this podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just joking. Go for it, bro. Go for it. Oh, no, listen first let me land bro let me land this is nothing but love this is an all arsenal podcast i have no enemies here okay i don't gotta it's not gary neville invited onto the podcast you know i'm not gonna i actually think kieran tierney did really well is what i was going to say i was actually noticing specifically the distance between him and Partey was really really small i was really yeah. shocked to see that basically whenever we would line up there would be Partey in the in between the two attackers right and then on the other side of the left side uh left-sided attacker was Kieran Tierney almost like a midfield duo and and I I think maybe that tightened up in the second half and maybe it wasn't as prevalent in the first and maybe there was some fluctuations there but this kind of brings us to like the the let's just call it what it is the topic of the day can Arsenal survive with Gabriel Jesus what are the differences that Eddie and Kedia brings and that wonder goal that he uh struck for our third goal what did you think of all of that Mike big Mike He's, well, I don't know which one of the, you us you're talking about anymore. <laughs> well, well, well. Um, I, I I'm still bigger. Uh, I, I he's a different player. Um, he is a less talented player. He is a very talented player, and he's a player that we can play with. Uh, you know, it, 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 all of this, these things. And this is the high quality analysis that you um, come to do the podcast for. I'm not going to say I should have thrown it to Owen the whole time. Should've. I'm not going to say a sentence that's more than five words long. Bet, uh, stay no, less. My point is that all these things can be true, and it is up to Arteta and the players around him to play differently when he's in. I mean, play to his strengths. Jesus is a guy who, and, and the biggest example of this was in the first half, we had a two-on-one and the ball was at Eddie's feet. 
and you 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 kind of knew that that was not his strength. And you knew that if Gabby Jesus had the ball, he either would have turned the defender and been an ungoal, or he would have found Saka on the wing, who was just waiting for the pass to come in. And instead, I think he looked for Saka, but it hit the it hit the defender, and that was the end of the attack. And I and, and I said, I said, Andy, you need to understand this about football because I am the tactical master here. I said, <laughs> Jesus, get, Jesus. This is the difference between Jesus and Niketia. This is not Niketia's strength. He is better being the, the guy who's running on the wing of, of the guy with the ball than being the guy with the ball. And and, uh, and that was my concern, was that he wasn't going to recover from that, and that was going to be the type of thing that people were talking about the whole game. He is a Premier League striker. He has been for a while, but he's a, he's not a fully developed Premier League striker yet, so you got to play to his... You got to play to his strengths. You cannot play the same game that you're going to play and just plug him in like for like with Gabby Jesus and expect the same results. And 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 I think in the second half there might have been an adjustment or two that led to him getting a ball, you know, in in dangerous uh, situations. But you know, for people who have with good evidential reason calling him a tap in merchant. Um, I think we're seeing there's a little bit more to his game than that. And I will leave the poetic description of that turn and finish to, uh, to someone else. Uh, maybe someone who knows more tactics than I do, but it looked damn good to me. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to ask, first of all, did you say that to Andy before or after you passed out? But, um, <laughs> um, Mexa Mike, I have to ask you this. <laughs> I ordered one of those at Taco Bell. One time. No, no, no. no, no, no. But seriously, are we? Look how red his face got. Look at this. Are we always maybe talking, speaking too negatively about Eddie and Keddie? And what I mean by that is, even when we're trying to big Eddie and Keddie up, even when we're trying to say he had a great game, we always have to qualify it with, well, Jesus might have done this, or we know that he's a Premier League striker that maybe he needs to develop a little, or is it possible that maybe Eddie and Ketty is really great? I mean, he's got a pretty decent goal return. I think it's like 11 for 11 at the Emirates. He's, um, he, he, maybe he doesn't come as deep for the ball, but he plays the channels really well. We can see him making really, really good runs. He tends to be able to hold the ball up well at the, you know, in the final um end of the pitch so are, are we being too negative as a fan base or or is this criticism warranted from years of watching him and seeing him develop so closely so i think most of the the meltdown so to say is from fans if you I, i'm one of those stubborn fans that i don't think that the club is going to react and go for a january signing as far as strikers goes maybe uh a mid-tier loan but i don't think we're spending like this gel felix like make it happen type of thing. I think that's a cut above. I don't think the club gave Eddie allegedly a hundred K in the number 14 shirt to the minute Gabriel J. Seuss gets injured to see like, okay, fuck all. We're going to buy somebody else and put you on the bench. I don't think that's the way we're operating. So as far as the negativity is, I, I look, I don't know if we'll, we'll dub it negativity as much as doubts because we got so used to having a starting 11 and we got Gabriel Jesus that's doing so much work outside of the box that it's just amazing what he's done to our, our front line. However, he, and here's, it's, it's really difficult to make a criticism or point out being critical of, of Jesus because 
he does do a shitload off the ball. He does do a lot of pressing. Somebody in the chat, I believe, where it was Owen mentioned that because of that high press, it does help Martinelli and Zinchenko to an extent on the left-hand flank. But he did go a shitload of games without scoring a goal. And right. and so while if we're all sitting here th- saying, you know, Eddie Nketi can't do what Gabriel Jesus does, but if he scores at a 50% rate, let's say he doesn't score next game, but he scores another goal the game after or a brace after, he's going to already eventually start looking a little bit better than Gabriel Jesus on the score sheet at least, right? You mentioned his his uh, goals at the Emirates. So, you know, I, I think we're going to have to get used to a player that maybe is slightly more selfish than Gabriel Jesus in, in, in a way, right? Because they're not the same person. They, they play their game in a different way. And he is trying. And, you know, one thing I noticed in the first half that I thought Eddie didn't spend a lot of time inside the box in the first half. It's almost like he was trying to replicate the Gabriel Jesus thing just a little bit too much. And in the second half, he got a little bit more greedier and he found himself into the box and making those runs. And the, the it was Udegaard, if I'm not mistaken, that gave him the pass. Mm-hmm. Was it? Yeah. It was yeah. Ben White did that little flick, which I absolutely mm-hmm. love. You know, love me some Ben White. Yeah, absolutely stunning. And then, you know, he he got it in the half turn and just scored. And that's what he does. You know, this whole tap and merchant thing, um, it's going to go away eventually. I mean, sooner or later, they're going to start. They're going to start noticing that he is trying to create his own goals. It's not as simple as like this. This goal wasn't a tap in. This is this was elite finishing. Like if you saw Vlahovic do it, you know, people like, oh, my God, he's so good. Holland do it. Oh my God, he's so good. Did you see how he turned off the defender, right? But I think because it was better than the Burkamp goal against uh, Newcastle, that's all obviously, obviously <laughs> hands down. yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I, I think I think people are going to struggle. But Eddie has a chance here that if he continues to score goals on a slightly regular basis, I think fans will quickly move away from look at. But he doesn't work outside the box. To well, he's scoring a goal a game. Don't, don't you think that people like like if if Partey is missing a significant part, God forbid, missing a, a significant part of the second half of the season, and Lakanga enters his spot or or somebody else that we're that we're going to be contrasting and comparing the two? I mean, it's only normal. It is a little bit insulting to Eddie Nketiah, but it's also just very complimentary of of uh, of Gabby Jesus. And I don't know that that you know that that it must be stopped for us doing that. I think he. I think it will be. Can I can I say this about the goal in Gabby Jesus and you guys discuss this because I think that if that was Gabriel Jesus that goes wider over the bar. Yeah, well, I'm not. Yeah, he might not have scored that. So yeah, let's start talking about what Nakedia can do that, that that Gabby Jesus can't. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, so that's on Eddie. Was there was a few captain opportunities, right? That that you know Gabriel didn't. You know, we're returning it. We're back. We're bashing Gabriel Jesus now, right? Because he, yeah, yeah, we have we're, we're bashing him because he's not a tap and merchant. That's what he is. That guy scored zero goals in his last one game, dude. I, I Send him just... back to City, the fucking reject. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you cut in right now, but I, I was going to point out with what Mikey said was, for me, there's a bigger contrast between Partey and Shaka to anybody that's on the bench than Gabriel Jesus versus Eddie. Eddie is not Jesus, as Mike pointed out to us. And thank you, Mike, for pointing out that they're two different players and two different people. Some referees don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that Eddie Nketiah's qualities is, 
are still substantially high and Eddie playing a extended period for us versus Lakanga or insert Oneni. I think one of those two pivots getting long-term injuries might be more destabilizing to our current way of playing than swapping Eddie and Gabriel Jesus. All right, yeah. get get yourself some Owen. Let's come no, back no, to uh, uh, after uh, Owen goes. Yeah, no, so, uh, no. Let's come back to Mark's point because I want to address that after Owen. Okay. See, Owen, when yeah, we no, can't see your mouth starting to move, it, it that, that's why we keep talking at the same time. Should I make a should I make a certain sound like trying to talk to yeah, make no. it more obvious? No, <laughs> by, by like, the next... you have a point, just go <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then we'll, 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 we'll like quiet down and let you He should by get a bell. Show, he should get a bell so he can tap the bell when he's gonna talk. <laughs> he needs to get together with poorly drawn arsenal and get like a VTuber. Thing going, yeah, he'd be like Gunnosaurus. Yeah. So whenever he talks, there's like a talking Gunnosaurus here. <laughs> no, look, what I was gonna say is, is that when you when you're talking about Eddie, I think one of the main concerns that that I had, especially um, once Jesus got injured, was how was that gonna affect Gabriel Martinelli and Bakayo Saka? Because we have seen a massive upturn in in terms of their output this season, um, and I think that everybody would probably contribute that down to. Uh, the arrival of Gabriel Jesus. Now, we all know that link-up play and stuff like that is a very sort of limited part of Eddie's game, and that's not an insult to the guy. There's different forms of strikers, and that's just not one of his key strengths. And something that I think that gets overlooked, and this is why I always think that, I think it may have been a mistake, not for us, we can benefit from Eddie being here, but for Eddie himself, and I think it will be a mistake in the future, if he doesn't go for a move in the future, um everybody looks now at strikers and always thinks of one, you know, this player who can take the ball, dribble, link, play up, blah, blah, blah. Traditionally, there used to be two types of strikers. There used to be sole strikers and purge strikers. And I think that Eddie Nketiah is 100% a purge striker. He's someone who benefits from having someone with him, close proximity to him, between the, the centre halves, playing small intricate passes and getting in behind. And I think that that's where he would absolutely thrive Unfortunately for Eddie, I think that the places that that will be available for him will be the lower echelons of the, the Premier League or the higher echelons of the cha- championship. Um, Can you so imagine think, him paired with this guy? How many goals? I perfect. Didn't perfect. That, that is actually a perfect example well, of well, the right, type of player has, that he would pair up. He, I mean, that kind of – because because not only is – I mean, and I keep making this com- comparison, Giroud is not Edin Dzeko. Giroud – would have, I mean, think of how many little passes that he, and again, this is turning into Giroud fest and, oh, and, uh, always Aston, is. Aston hates this, but like, <laughs> cause that, that, that type of guy, whether it's him or, you know, I don't know if, uh, what Manzukic is a guy like this back, back in his prime, but th- that kind yeah. of forward would have been the perfect guy for Eddie to play with. And, uh, he's, he's going to learn to play on his own. Um, but that's a good. It's a good segue when you talk to him about you know talk about him playing with another striker. They did this a mm-hmm. bit during the preseason, Aston, uh, as you saw. It wasn't necessarily as a four four two. It was more Niketia on the wing. Uh, but you know, I thought we'd see the two of them. You know, barring injury, I thought we'd see the two of them on the pitch a little bit more at the same time. But it just changes. I mean, it makes you take off Martinelli. Saka or Odegaard or Xhaka. I mean, it just changes the, the the winning formula so much that that uh, 
you know, we're not going to see that, but I think, I think Eddie would play better in that kind of a formation, but I think it would destabilize the, the thing that we have going on right now with our current formation. Any thoughts? Oh, and to your point, do you think that Eddie would um, that maybe strategically for us? And I, I understand you were talking about he, he him getting a move away would probably be the best thing for his career because he's more than a backup striker. I think that's the point that you're alluding to. But but to that point of us playing a four four two, say we're playing four three three. Jesus is up top. We're failing to score a goal. Instead of taking Jesus off, is this why you see um, Mikel Arteta? So love he loves to put Eddie on and leave Jesus on at the same time. You know, if you notice, he he really likes to play them together. And is it a four four two or how how do you manage that? And what do you think that uh, does for his strengths? Yeah, I, I think that look in the preseason, I think that's something that we all were pretty excited for, given that you know everybody refers to Eddie and Caddy as Mister July because he just absolutely turns it on in preseason. <laughs> looks fantastic and, and and unfortunately as of yet he hasn't carried that form and over in a sustained manner to a full season but what i will say is that when you look at these changes you know the circumstances haven't really called for it just yet this season i don't think but what i will say is that people look at formations as far too binary you know <clears throat> especially Mikel arteta's formations you know you look at which i talked about already alexander shinchenko stepping in and we mentioned earlier tierney which fair play to kieran tierney because He's an old school left back, get the ball, run, bomb down the wing, put in a cross. And you can see him putting actively so much effort into that, tucking inside and making an effort to adjust to the demands of Mikel Arteta. Um, so when we're talking about Eddie and Kedia playing left wing or, or and Kedia up top and Jesus out wide, to me, really, it that, that isn't, you know, set stone as you don't stand within the width of the box, you stay left. No, that's simply putting on two players, another duo that can combine together. And to be honest with you, I think if if Eddie, which I'm crossing my fingers here, I know you can't see me, I'm crossing everything, bollocks <laughs> and all, um, everything's crossed. Um, where's my daughter? I'm going to cross her tire in a fucking knot. Um, yeah, but I, I, I think that... He gives I it think, all for the arsenal. I think that uh, if, Eddie, if Eddie does have a, a good patch of form here and he does carry us through to the return of Gabriel Jesus, then it would be completely awful if Eddie and Kelly was simply just knocked it back down the pack in order and not really given many minutes mm. again. So I think that if he continues a decent period of form over this period of time, that that is a combination we're probably more likely to see in the second half of the season. Well, and players, especially those that do as much running as Gabby Jesus, don't come back from knee injuries ready to play 90 minutes every game. So, I mean, I, I will at, the, at, at most or at the very least see games when, when Gabby comes back where, where he's probably starting from on the bench. Uh, with Nikethia starting and maybe swapping or, or adding him in in the 70th minute as he gets his game fitness back. And, you know, you'll have people probably taking that as, oh, my God, Arteta loves Nikethia so much that he's now putting him above, you know, ahead of Gabby Jesus. Let, let's just not worry about that, <laughs> you know, even though I just brought that up as something people are going to worry about. Uh, you know, it's it, it would be nice to have the two options. Whether we sign somebody in January or not, I mean – if we do, it's as backup for Eddie. Um, it's because if Eddie gets hurt in the next two or three months, we are a bit screwed. Can I just interject on that as well? Look, here's something that I'll be completely, uh, I'll openly admit, in terms of a player's quality and uh, like 
Eddie, I'll say this, seems like a, a great guy. He seems I really like him. But in terms of as a footballer, his qualities where he where he shines and, and his deficiencies where he's not so bright, I just don't think or should do a football team like Arsenal. I just I just don't. I think that his attributes would be far more suited to a, a lower possession base side, to, to someone further down the league. I think he'll be a very good Premier League player, but I just don't think he's at the upper echelons of the Premier League. But what I will say is that if we go into the next game and we get another 45 or 90 minutes like we did out of Eddie in the first half, I think, I think that if it had to remain like that for the, the, the second half, I think there is a chance that we could have seen Arsenal potentially go out and try and wrap somebody up in that striker position because I think that his deficiencies when he isn't on form, when his qualities aren't shining, they're so massive. You know, um, uh, would I trust them for an entire season? I'm not sure that I would, but over the course of nine, ten games, I think that he has it to, to, to maybe carry us through that. But uh, Gotta be careful, like Owen. You, you, know, you know what the internet's going to say to you about this opinion. Oh, 100%, yeah. No, but look, I, I think here, here's, the, here's the ideal situation in my mind, I think, is that is that Eddie Nketiah will do very, very well for us. He'll play quite well through the second half of the season and then he'll get himself a pretty decent move and bring us in a nice little hefty transfer fee. I think that that's the best, that, the best outcome for everybody, in my opinion. Awesome. I I want to I want to put a bow on the game because we are an hour in. I don't I don't know how much I have uh, how much time I have with everyone. So I do want to put a quick bow on the game because I do want to get into Wenger's return and some of the transfer rumors. Real quick though, um, to that point, you know, Mikel Arteta's come in and we're seeing an improved Eddie and Ketty. And now we're are we Eddie in or are we Eddie out? We're seeing an improved Jaka, Saka, Martinelli have all improved. Matter of fact, in that game from minute one to minute ninety. Arsenal improved. So, were there any like uh, lasting impressions that you had of how we played about the game, and what does that mean uh, for the league and your man of the match? I just want everybody to go around real quick because we we do have um, other games were played yesterday besides ours. Fun fun fact: uh, Tottenham did draw at uh, Brentford because they're shit. Um, Chelsea two 0 Bournemouth, uh, Liverpool three one Villa. Uh, I didn't see the United score. I think they won three nil. Reno, and oh, how do we fit into the? How does that performance yesterday fit into the bigger picture of the narrative of the Premier League? And then, who was your man of the match for the game? So we can just put a bow on it and go. That's a lot. Um, I think, I think you know, and and part of this is reinforced. I you know, I don't normally listen to a lot of pre and post game shows. I don't listen, you know, even though we have like a, a satellite <laughs> channel dedicated to football. And this morning they were talking a lot about Arsenal and 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 it, it's it's turning very positive now with you know with with um, non biased non hating not you know just just kind of generalized uh, press and commentary saying you know everyone's waiting for something to happen that Arsenal's not in a title chase or they say you know it's really it's it's Manchester United or Manchester City or possibly Newcastle. Um, we showed yesterday that we are absolutely in a title uh, chase. Uh, whether we finish first, second, third, we are in a. T- it'll come down to the end. I, I don't see us take you know having the kind of slide that would cause us to be hoping to cling on to third or fourth place at this point. Not saying we won't finish there. I'm just saying I I, I don't see that happening. Um, you know we 
we have some big wins already under our belt. We have two games against Manchester City that are not going to decide the season, but they're going to be massive uh, kind of just stakes in the ground about where we really, really are if we hope to be considered uh, comp- you know, competitive, competing for the league. Um, yesterday's game, I think, shows that we, you know, we, we can slog our way through 90 minutes against a team that we should be beating not be perfect on the day and still get an impressive win. And, uh, and frankly, I'll be way impressed if we come away with a win at Brighton, the way that they're playing, the way their fans support them. That's a, not an easy place to go. We have not had any success there in the last few years. I'm not saying I'd be thrilled with a draw, but that would be an impressive, impressive win uh, because that's not a place that people go and they win. Uh, so when you take it game by game, every game's the next big test, right? <laughs> I know, but you can you can look at some. I mean, you know, and 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 no, so I agree, I agree. I, I just don't want that to be a trap game. Brighton, I look at as a as a, a game that it, it's not a trap game. It's a legit game against what I would consider a top six level quality team, mm-hmm. uh, even if they're not top six. Man of the match yesterday. Um, hard not to give it to Odegaard. Um, I think he was just phenomenal throughout the entire game. And, uh, and so that's who I'm giving it to. What about you, Max and Mike? So on, on the whole, on the whole league thing, I was going to say, I met, look, I, I don't think they're going to become champions, but I think a lot of people are sleeping on Newcastle and we haven't played them once this season. And I saw an interesting tweet a little earlier today that the last four league losses that Arsenal have had has been Brighton, Newcastle, Spurs, and united the last four times arsenal did manage to lose and those are our following four games so brian a very difficult game newcastle at home spurs away and then united we we get to try and um come up and get our vengeance for that shitty call that happened to us earlier in the season so four really interesting games i i'm a game by game type of guy at i I, I said this many times in the past. We're like last season when we started off losing three games. I said we weren't relegated. We started off winning three games. They didn't say we were going to be champions. So I'm very much a 38-game type of person. So I don't really react. My goal was top four, and top four is where I think we're headed towards. Potentially even – if we're not second, we, we might even potentially enter third uh, at the rate that Newcastle is at right now and maybe – that's me being incredibly pessimistic or I'm just kind of holding myself. I, I guess what I, I, I do as well as I refuse to view us titles contenders. It's one of those things. It's, I, I just can't let my brain there. I'm just thinking Manchester city, how I'm, they got it. And I, like I said, I won't allow myself to dream in a, in a weird way. So maybe week 37, when we're up by nine points, I'll start to believe that we might, we might win. I feel but, like a, I feel like you're in a therapy section right now. Like Arsenal won't hurt you that bad, man. Like yeah. we're all living like collective PTSD from all. That's of exactly the years. where it is. Yeah, yeah. Can't yeah, do it. Toxic. Can't look the other way. Yeah, so I'm 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 not toxic like Owen. So I'm gonna say the man of the match was was Eddie and Ketia. <laughs> no, okay. no, it's it's really difficult. It's really difficult to not say Udegaard, but to be to be slightly different on on the on the Mikey on the Mikey thing. I'll I'll, I'll bring up Eddie because he he did put in a pretty decent performance, all things considered. Uh, he he managed to have a goal. Henri was praising him after the game, talking about his trajectory and how nothing has been given to him. 
Um, I do think he's going to stick around for us pretty long-term, uh, slightly more than this season. And that I do disagree with Owen in the sense that every time Arteta has spoken about Eddie, it's just been praise. Praise, praise, praise. we got to tie him down. Praise, praise. Uh, again, I, I don't think he, it's going to be one of those things where he he's going to leave anytime soon. I think he's here for the long haul being back up to Gabriel Jesus. And I think that was something that he accepted when he signed that contract. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to praise Eddie and give him, you know, he scored a beautiful goal and hung in there the 90 minutes and, and did his thing. So he will be my man of the match. And yeah, I think we're going to finish top four. I think that was part of your, part of the questions. And if I'm missing anything out, I'm sorry. Man. What did you think? Of, what, what did you think of this guy's performance yesterday? <laughs> Andy, Andy, Andy. What I think you need to ask the pool jets that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's literally just came out of the pool jet. <laughs> when he when he is at home, does does he actually wear Arsenal gear or does he like does he have West Ham gear to to try to acclimate and simulate with his with his family? I, I don't know. Well, he was technically wearing Arsenal clothing yesterday. If you look down at the at the little folds of his stomach, oh, the, the there it is, crest on the on the Christmas thing. I just think he wanted me to feel as uncomfortable as possible, so he wore Christmas gear, and and then everyone else in the house was wearing uh, West Ham gear. And then uh, I went upstairs to to the bedroom that had been claimed for me, and then this guy was there. So it was like, <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> me. Yeah, Good I mean, Lord. It was okay, a weird. Okay. It was a weird, weird day. But you know, another weird thing about the day yesterday was the return of Arsene Wenger, Aston. Well, oh. that's a that we we're gonna get that. But you missed out on Potato Mike. Potato Mike needs to go. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't worry about me. It's fine. Um, oh, it's I still know you're here. It's no, okay. I, I, I'll keep mine short and sweet, boys. Um, what did I see from yesterday's game was resilience, more resilience than I maybe thought that we had uh, over the years. We've seen Arsenal take hits, you know, or we think as far back as Eduardo getting injured and 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 the team essentially crumbling um, under that. And I think that this Mikel Arteta side, to his credit, has just more resilience than anything that I've seen, especially when you take into consideration that it's the youngest team in the Premier League to, to be bouncing back from things like that is, is absolutely fantastic. Um. I actually think that the month that we are in now, uh, and I don't know whether this is a bold bold take, I think that this is the defining moment of, of Arsenal's season. Ooh. I think that when we look at this Brighton game, this Newcastle game, the Spurs game, the United game, and then right up to um, the Man City game on the 15th of February, I think that this is the most defining moment of the season. I think that if we can come through this with a healthy tally of points, sustain our sort of five-point lead going into that Man City game and then take points from City, whether that be a draw or a win, just as long as we don't lose. I think that, that I think that that's where we could, fingers crossed, have a title wrapped up. Because to be honest with you, I think that when you I think that when you look at seasons past, you know, we, we look at Man City and, and you talk about the Centurions and you talk about Liverpool and you know the 99 points that they achieved and it, Basically, to win the title now, you have to get between 95 and 100 points. I don't think that's the case this season, boys. I think it's an 85 point. I think that's what you're looking at, somewhere around 85 to 90 points, that that's where the title uh, tally will, will be at. I think that this Man City team is is there to be got at more so than most people think. You know, I think a lot of the times you listen to talk sport, you listen to Sky Sports, you listen to ESPN, anybody, 
and it's just constant smoke being blown up Man City's arse, and 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 rightfully so at times. Let's let, let's not take away from the quality Holland that they does have. Nineteen goals. Yeah, but but it's it's their backline. They're there to be got at, and you know I don't think Liverpool have been particularly good, and even in that um, League Cup fixture, Liverpool got at them. They were there to tear them apart. Mm. Um, you know everybody's saying about. Arsenal, they're going to fall apart. We are going to fall apart. We've mentioned that earlier in the podcast. Everybody's saying Man City are going to find their form. They're going to find their gear. They're going to kick on. It still hasn't happened yet. And I'm not sure that it's going to happen to the extent that it has in the past. Next say next season, the season after that, yeah, of course. But I'm not sure this season, boys. Um, I'm just not sure. I think that if we can make it to that Man City game with that, uh, that point tally intact, that five point gap between us and we can stop them from taking points from us in that fixture I think that our chance goes up 10 times of uh, attaining the title mm. uh, Who is your man of the match? Uh, Arsene Banger because he's, he's a fucking lovely man There's your <laughs> that, transition We, we keep yeah, trying to get you a transition I, 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 I did a shout out to Onenny and his brilliant cameo yeah, yeah. El, Nini, El Nini, I think, was the man of the match. Greatest super impact sub I think we've ever had. Um, but speaking of subs, uh, or, or not speaking of subs, uh, Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger's return to the Emirates, it was kept super under wraps. Nobody knew it was coming, matter of fact. Um, he, The audience didn't even know he was in the stadium until around the 60th minute when it, I think it was the Martinelli goal. Right. Or was it the soccer goal? One of the goals, the uh, he got put up on the big screen. And that's when you heard around the stadium, there's only one Arsene Wenger was now the perfect time for him to come back. And what what does it mean that he's here? Uh, uh, my uh, hers. What do you think? I, I, I'm I'm caught between two because I, I got a I got a persona to to uphold in my Twitter sphere where I like to bash ready. Arsene Wenger for shits and giggles. But uh, <laughs> he's one of your five personae. Yeah, one of my five personae. No, it was. Don't it you was love nice that to... he's here, Mike? Isn't uh, it the best thing? I don't. I don't love that he's here. Uh, I don't love that Jack Wilshire is is training uh, our youth either. But I have a really weird way of trying to distance. I, I myself. don't. I don't love that we're top of the league. Oh, fucking cheer up, Mike. I, I never said I that. I, I don't know. All, Mike all I'm saying is. <laughs> All I'm saying is I'm questioning the time because he he wasn't around when when the fuckos that were like Mustafi Ozil Kolasinac was still around, but now that things are looking pretty fucking good, all of a sudden, and that's exactly the pose he's gonna have for his statue. By the way, that would be fucking better. Be. So. Either, that, either that or, or, do, or on do, the do, ground do. in Stoke Railway Station. No, do you think? Do you think if we win the league, he's gonna do a salt bay and like come out onto the pitch? <laughs> He's going to just be there when they're interviewing Arteta. He's going to be trying to grab the mic away from him. I think I think my favorite new thing in the world is Owen saying Salt Bay. Um, but, but come on. Like, it's, like, nice, it's nice that he came back to visit us. And it's really nice that fans still, despite his last couple of years, can see the positives more so than the negatives. And, and I do think that he was smart and he's kind of alluded to that himself as far as giving himself a little bit of space and time to heal, if you will. You know, because there was a lot of um, friction amongst fans for a portion of fans. I don't want to overgeneralize. 
and I think the time away was good. And now that things are are looking up on a sporting level for Arsenal, it kind of him showing up. It's like we're too much in a good mood for even like the most crazy fucking, you know, Arteta outers that that were getting like pretty shitty and and volatile with him uh, on a human level. Even those motherfuckers were kind of like well yeah okay you know I, I think just the time away from the club was good i think it was a smart idea like he mentioned that staying away throughout the unai emery years and even the couple of Arteta years was a wise thing because when sir alice ferguson would go watch manchester united like after the season he retired the you know cameras were on him the comparisons were going on you know oh, he's here he's here he's watching he's watching in so i think wenger taking a step back and, and somebody mentioned i don't know might have been slightly her ego or just her in general with how mm. he left the club as well because there's there's so much shit to this right so but time cures a lot of things so uh it was nice to see him back and it was really nice to hear fans uh singing one arson wenger i think that uh, like something that we forget as well is that what year? 2018, Arsene Banker left the club. What age was Bakayo Saka then? What age was William Saliba, Gabriel Magalhaes, Martin Odegaard? The majority of these players were all in their teenage years um, when, when Arsene Banker departed. And I think that he has a godlike uh, reputation, godlike status around Arsenal Football Club, especially with someone like Mikel Arteta, who holds him in such high regard. Um. You know, and to be honest with you, yeah, that beautiful picture, and and to be perfectly honest with you, I, I thought I was going to be relatively surprised that Mike uh, sort of had that stance on Arsene Banger returning to the club, but then I remembered a photo uh, he had with his uh, controversial hero um, a while back, and and that sort of popped into my mind why Mike would have that. that I, I get, I get where you're going with that now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it, Mike. Um. But look, I think that uh, you say that you know he turns up when he's winning. But imagine this, the abuse that that Arsene Wenger would have received from that camp if we had a lost that game um, yesterday. You know, the, there would have been a lot of shit thrown at him. And I think that when you look at the pictures with the players, the interaction, it can only be a positive thing. And I just wonder. We heard Mikel Arteta come out and say that they hope he makes it at home and that he stays around a lot more and he's there a lot more often. I'm just wondering if there's some form of uh, uh, of position for him in the club going forward. Now, with, with the things... Sorry, Mike. The way things are going, do you want him in any other level than some honorary shenanigan, insert name here? Like, yes. do you want do you want him in... What's going on with Edu and, Ars- and, and Arteta as far as like decision making? Because I'm I'm very very content with how shit is going right now. So yeah, I I don't I don't I'm not gonna go on too long. I I'm not saying that I do. I'm just saying that I'm wondering with the language that's being used. Okay. And I think I, Mike maybe was it yourself that had brought up as well that there is technically an opening there, a position there, given uh or somebody had said it that Edu's promotion. That, that there may be some sort of sport sport director role. If they want Arsene Wenger involved in the club, they'll create a position for him. Um, but I, I, that, I, I am all for honoring him 
And I think it was a very good idea for him not to come back. Um, you know, it, come back when we're first in the league. Fine. You know, of course. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you got to let things breathe for a while. And until we were successful again, it was going to be impossible to really feel good about, about, you know, him coming back and, 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 you know, the fact that everyone would inevitably make it about him, maybe not him making it about him, but, but everybody else. I don't think we'll see him there too often. This is not, I don't, I, I, I may be proven wrong, but I don't think this is going to be a regular occurrence. I know he loves the club. I know he would do anything for the club. I don't think it would be a good idea for us right now to turn the clock back in any way, shape, or form. That goes for signing old players, even as much as I'd like to see one come back. Um, that goes to, uh, well, mostly just to make Toxic Mike upset that he's leaving his, his actual favorite team. But, um, I, you know, I just, Arsene Wenger needs to be remembered fondly for what he did for Arsenal Football Club. Not necessarily the equally frustrating, as it is uh, impressive, uh, the first half, the equally frustrating what he did to Arsenal Football Club. And and I just, I think if he's in official capacity and not just an emeritus, uh, I mean, maybe he can give stadium tours like Perry Groves and... and, uh, oh, yeah. and <laughs> you think Arsene and, Wenger should be relegated to stadium tours? That's, relegated. that's disrespectful. Relegated. That's not, too much, man. I'm sorry. Harry Groves is 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 not way to kick a man when he's down, Mike. Like, jeez, <laughs> you're like you're like I used, you know, I I had the Invincibles, you know, but now I just sweep yeah. the floors like what? <laughs> 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 and 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 he, uh, you know, I didn't say janitor. I said uh, no. Look, I, that Harry's getting shot out here. Facetious <laughs> there, but like. I would even go further. I honestly would even go further than a statue. I have mooted the the point, and and the only reason you can't do it is because of how deeply ingrained the names of the stands are currently. But I, I would name a stand after him. Um, you know, it would have to be East or West, and and East and West are. I mean, and, and I. I I'm saying I would do it, but I'm not bothered if we don't. And I really kind of don't think that will ever happen. But uh, we'll settle for a pie, Mike. Yeah. I mean, okay, fine. I'll take a pie and a beer stand. And um, no, I mean, look, look, I, I, I was as critical of him in, in, in the latter stages as, as almost anybody was uh, in, in a non abusive way. But um, I, I think it, it needs to be an infrequent novelty when he comes back other than maybe for a dedication of a statue or some other commemorative thing uh, involved uh, rather than being involved in the day-to-day -day operations of the club, which I think would be a massive mistake. I, I, well, I, I also will... think he's involved with FIFA and, and yeah. that might even ramp up more with the potential idea of having a world cup every three years. So exactly. I don't, I, I don't even think it's, like logistically possible and and i'll let you come back in right now ask them one thing i just thought of right now is how great would it be i think it was omen that mentioned that a lot of people look up to arson wenger right and the players must have been, must have been like ecstatic seeing it and i just think back at ben white who never watched football growing up i just see i would just imagine him like wenger walking into the, in the locker room and saying the fuck is this guy well, not only do a lot of people girl. look up to him, but most people pronounce his name correctly with with respect. 
I, I like, did anybody but me get a flash of him much? saying locker room and Mike immediately jumping in, not only just uh, meeting him in the locker room, but taking a video of him masturbating or something like that, just thought. <laughs> That's disgusting and has no place on this podcast. But but listen, 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 I want to, I'm going to. I'll be in the WhatsApp group. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's where it belongs. It doesn't belong in the on the podcast. That's I. I wish you hadn't said that. That's gross. Doubling Gunner with the wankster poetic set. about Vanger for a moment. I want to see him I, having a threesome with Olivier Giroud and um, dear God and uh, we and, Mike, and Mike's mom. Wow, <laughs> that's the that's <laughs> one of the that's, no, that's got a place on this podcast. That, we, have, yeah. we, have, we have the exclusive broadcasting rights for that debut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for anybody in the Just, comments ever questioning why is it that I take three months off at a time from this podcast? Gerbil exclusive. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. But seriously, I want to. I, I want to talk about because I I do feel very strongly about uh, the Vanger thing, and I don't want to comment anybody. I think everybody has their own personal relationship with him. I think that when he left the club, we were in an incredibly dark place, and I think that kind of surrounds a little bit about the narrative around him. And I and I understand that because I think that however you feel about Arsenal, Arsenal earned it. Because we did. For years and years and years, we went around. And it isn't until, actually, I want to say, um, since Arteta in this last year, that the club has been, symbolically at least, kind of given back to the fans in the first place, right? And so I, I don't ever try to dictate how people feel about the man. But I do think that sometimes you, we allow that to forget He's really smart and knows a lot about football. He's probably one of the foremost experts on football on the planet. He led teams to being unbeaten. He he knows how to man-manage teams. I mean, listen, like he got the best out of Mesut Ozil. Have you seen what people have done with Mesut Ozil since Arsene Wenger? And that's not to uh, say that... not down to Wenger, though. Wenger also but, gave, him, gave him the security and the peace of mind to, to be able to just play whenever he wanted to play and make up fake injuries. We're, to, we're, guys, can of worms. Can of worms that we're going down here. Listen, 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 listen. Before we, before we, jump, in, before we jump into all that, I just want to say, I think that him – and also I think what everybody fears is Arsene Wenger at Arsenal – isn't Arsene Wenger at Arsenal from before. He's not going to come in and be the head coach. I think that's why he needed to step away because Mikel Arteta has absolutely asserted dominance over the club from top to bottom. He came in as a head coach. He's now he's now the manager of Arsenal Football Club, and no one can really question him. Further than that, he had to make big calls. He had to get rid of Gwendo, Abba. Abba, a person that Arsene Wenger brought in, was one of his marquee signings. He had to get rid of him. I think... Arteta has done enough to make sure everybody understands that it's not Wenger coaching Arsenal anymore, but him as an, in an advisory role, absolutely. Maybe a talent scouting role, maybe at the, maybe involved in the youth development. I mean, we say we don't want to go back, but Per Murdersacker runs our academy. Jack Wilshire coaches there as well. We have Edu running our, uh, running um, as the director of football. We continue. Oh, Jesus Christ. No. Ah, uh, please don't, don't do, don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. The man deserves a statue. But uh, I but, think Arteta walks around with such big dick energy that he wouldn't really give a shit if they gave Wenger any honorary uh, thing. To your point, Aston, I don't think it would have phased him one bit. I, I don't think yeah. he'll 
he would come back at any sporting level, but I don't think I don't think but that think shadow I don't think that shadow's there. I think I think that that got the club by the balls with the results that he's been having. He had a really good relationship with both Cronkies and uh, I don't recommend it, nor do I want it. I think a Kitman potential sub for Gunasaurus, stuff like that, that Mikey suggested. I knew the Gunasaurus thing was going to come up. Yeah, oh, so stuff like that for sure. But um, I would not have asked Gunasaurus over the summer about his penis if I had known that Arsene Wenger was in the outfit. Was in the outfit. So, uh, yeah. At this rate, you two cons are going to have him working down part-time in the Tarlington. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. <laughs> we're trying to reduce him down to to fan podcast. <laughs> we're trying to bring him down. He's actually replacing Andy on the on the Gunners pod. I, I don't know. Like I can't I said, wait for that intro, Mike. <laughs> Arsene Wenger. Like I said, I think that we need to bring him back, and I think as the voice announcer for the stadium is a perfect role. No, we score a goal. No, we know the the voice announcer, and he's not getting replaced with Arsene Wenger. But 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 could could you imagine, like over the stadiums, like Luke uh, Martinelli scored a goal. Number I meant I meant to bring first you're firing shots at Perry Groves, and now you're fucking with Peter. Does anyone remember the, the, the Mikey? Were you watching the, the pod when we used to do the Arsene Wenger game? Because uh, I, th- I think it might need to make a comeback pretty soon. I meant to do it today, but I don't have. Yeah, I, I I believe I recall that. Yes. So, uh, true, true fan on the podcast. Thank you. Wonderful. Uh, I haven't cut my hair since I started listening to you guys. (laughs) Let's move on to something that is so much less controversial and something that will close out the show real quick and so much less controversial, so much less argument and debate. Let's talk about the transfer rumors real quick because I know (laughs) that we can't go go a show in Arsenal podcast without talking about the January transfer window. Uh, We put in a bid, apparently. Did everybody see that? $55 million for this uh, Mudrick guy. What, what is everybody thinking? How are you feeling, Owen? Mudrick guy. I watched his highlights on YouTube, and he seems pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> no. football. Yeah, no, no, no. He, he, looks, he, he looks the real deal. And um, to be honest with you, <clears throat> I sort of like where we were at with that sort of £50 million pound mark, in between 30 to £50 million for a starter. But Look, these are the prices you have to pay in January if you want to push the boat out. I think that if it, I think that if Gabriel Jesus hadn't got injured, you may have seen Arsenal uh, act with a little more restraint in terms of pursuing the the deal so aggressively. We've seen we've seen Shakhtar Donetsk throw out figures, you know, a hundred million euros and around that. I think that I think that they're peacock and look and and obviously we all understand the situation going on in Ukraine and the the impact that that has. Football clubs and nobody's saying that that should be taken advantage of. It absolutely shouldn't be, but I think that w- what you're seeing is a club um, in a particular situation trying to get the most out of one of their most valuable assets. I think that the deal will happen. It just depends on how much. Um, the the deal apparently was a, a straight forty million payment with twenty million in in add-ons. I think that you'll probably see. That figure remain in and around that, but the, the add-ons part be cut back as, as much as possible. Um, and and I think that Lucky's he, 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 a fantastic player, and I think he'll fit right into the squad. People talk about where's he going to play, you know, with Martinelli there. That's when you know you're getting good as a team when you can, when you're turning around and you're, re- you're reinforcing quality with quality. Um, 
there'll be room for him in this team, and, and, and I hope it's one that we get done. This is so, something really interesting that... Go ahead, Mikey. No, I was saying this to you, actually. I was That was my transition, was to Mexa Mike. Um, <laughs> he's twerking harder than Magnus Stallion in a music video. Like, how does that I make you feel? I don't know what that means. I used to listen to Elvis. I'm not that modern. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> Uh, I was listening to Johnny Cash and the Beatles today. I'm not sure what that means, Aston, but I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. But, but this, Mike laughed. He's a pervert. B, yeah, this that that BX brings up. It's a, it's a really important it's a, a thing. And and my good mate Sebi is in the chat, so I know Sebi's going to to react in the chat with a certain player um, mm. that I like from Arsenal history. So he's going to remind this to me, but. Here's the thing with the mudra getting is like we we like this type of behavior when it's a player that's coming our it's way. Vila, by the way. Right? Nope. Um, but if like you know Saliba was being linked with another team and he was posting, he was streaming Real Madrid, and he was like liking, we would be losing our shit right now. So to to BX's point, like. Dude, it's so weird to me to see a club that's ran by a manager that is so hell-bent and having a certain specific type of character of player to not be off-put by this. Mm. It just throws me off a little bit. I think Adu, Adu mentioned it in, in an interview that he had where he said, we've approached players and we see the intention and the character of the player, and that will let us know, now nah, we don't want to do this. So it's really interesting that the player is pushing so hard because the player could push hard from the inside, right? He doesn't have to be, he's just doing it so publicly. It's he's going out of his way. And that's the only reason I do believe that the deal will get done. The breaking off point, the walking away point is really different to a lot of, a lot of different people. Cause you know, I, I interact with my mates from, from my other podcasts and, you know, so, some of them are like headset, like we cannot pay six, like 60, 70 million for this guy. At that point, we just walk away, and it's it's interesting that some fans do have that walk away point, and some fans are like, "Fucking cronky, spend some fucking money," so they, they don't care how run. So it's really interesting to see how this whole thing is going to play out. But player power is a real bitch, and at the end of the day, if if Madrid wants to push hard enough, he will. But it does seem a little silly or disrespectful to his current club it's kind of one of those things where ten hog came out talking about ronaldo how we have you know non-negotiables and you're not you're not supposed to be a player like that but martinez literally sat down and refused to train with ix to get his move to manchester united so mm -hmm. it it kind of looks like that type of situation so can I look, ask you i'm an arsenal fan at the end of the day and if he shows up and scores a goal i'm going to celebrate it you know, and uh, when Wenger is there on the sideline, give them the ball as a good Bob boy would, um, you know, it's going to be pretty glorious. <laughs> Can I ask you something about that, actually, specifically? Um, you had mentioned because people have a walking away value, right? So from his perspective, as a player inside of that club, is he worth what Shakhtar Donetsk is asking? And if Shakhtar Donetsk is asking so much money for you, what do you think is the appropriate like level of like like agitation that you can add to the yeah. situation? It kind of reminds me of Ramsdale. He had a podcast that came out that he did with Ben Foster, I believe. And at yeah. one point in time, he was saying the club kept on telling him, we'll sell you to Arsenal, we'll sell you to Arsenal. And Arsenal came in with a bid. 
and they still rejected it. And that's when when Arsenal had walked away and everybody was like, holy shit, everything collapsed. Arsenal isn't going to get their goalkeeper. And then two, three days later, the deal's done, right? And mm-hmm. Ramsdale spoke about that. And he said, hey, motherfuckers, you agreed to sell me. You guys said you're going to sell me for, for this fee. And now you rejected it. Now on the inside, not making it public, I'm refusing to play. And then they're like, okay, 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 okay. my bad, my bad. We'll sell you. So I just think it could have been done a little bit more behind the scenes than mm. just doing it so blatantly obvious it is, is my only my only thing regarding Mudrick. But um, we'll see how interesting. But I will say that the, the owner, Schalke, is it? I, I'm, I'm probably butching the shit out of his team thing Schalke. right now. Schalke. It's, it's, he's He keeps on referring dumbass United playing stupid ass money for Anthony, but he's ignoring the, the Gakpo deal for, mm. for, for, um, for Liverpool. Right? So, so you could continue to point out at, at the highest common denominator, but at the end of the day, there's a medium here, right? And you, you can make the claim that Gakpo has been playing in a more difficult league and was starting for, for Netherlands. And then you got Mudrick in a, in a slower league with a lot less money, et cetera, et cetera. So, I know what the owner is trying to push for. He's yeah. looking out for the interests of his own club, but I think he's he's you know fucking out of his goddamn mind if he thinks he's going to get a hundred mil from any team. No. They, out there, they have so. they have zero negotiating power in this situation. Um, but bef- bef- there's two different things about Mudrick. And before I get there, I I just want to point out we have now the photo co- the the uh, the. Yes, you, you found it. You found we, it. We have the Arsene Wenger statue. <laughs> Thank, thanks to Stevie. Stop. Stop. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come together so quickly that when I'm over in three weeks, I will be taking the first photo with the, uh, I mean, the even the, the shirt where we see a little bit of nipple. I mean, you know, <laughs> It's either going to be that or this. There's the two of us standing yeah. outside. The, that's the, not the, salt, by the way. That's just chalk from when he writes on the, the way, chalkboard. You know, Mike, do you know where the picture was taken? Uh, SJCA? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it was taken in your home city. And yeah, I still can't believe that you, were, you, Robbo, and a lot of other people were in my hometown and I didn't know you, you people. You you apparently didn't know what Arsenal was either because you didn't show up to any of the shit. Mike, um, Mike, but you say they don't have any buying power, but I mean selling power, but they sold Fred for sixty million. I, like, I didn't say they don't have selling power. And do, do, do you do you have this queued up to buy, to 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 put your uh, your little graphic that you had from tra- that you ripped off of transfer market? I didn't say they didn't have selling power. I said they don't have a negotiating power in this particular instance because because of what Mudrik is doing in part. Um, and you know, look, I I admit to being completely like duplicitous in my attitudes about certain things. If you've got a player saying I want to leave because this club isn't ambitious enough, blah blah blah, whether you feel that they were right about that or not, when we when we lost Van Persie. Nazri, Fabregas, Adebayor, you know, all of those guys, one one season after the next. You know, when when you when you would hear that from someone wanting to leave Arsenal, fuck them. But when but how often do we hear somebody just agitating and 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 just wanting a move to Arsenal? 
it, it, it doesn't happen often. And, and it was pointed out in the chat that he, you know, by, by BX, who, who I think is the leader of the unprofessional Mudrick bandwagon. Uh, <laughs> he would have went to Everton last summer. He was open to it. Just wants to come to the Prem at any cost. That might be true. But look, man, this guy wants to come here and he seems willing to work with us in the in the negotiating arena to 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 keep the cost down uh didn't he post something on his instagram feed about like his market value on transfer market a few months like a month or two ago that it was 40 million when have you ever seen a player understating their own value for the for the point of getting a move i mean look it doesn't bother me it, it does tell you something about the player, but it doesn't tell you something about the player that will never, ever go away. A guy, who, I, I'd be more concerned if he showed up late when he was perfectly happy to be at Shakhtar the last two or three years, if he's even been there two or three years. I'd be more concerned with professionalism issues on the pitch and with lateness and, and if there was a lot of concern about his attitude, not just him pushing for a move. We see that. I, I, see here, here's a good one, Mike. Here's one for a contrast. People are talking about going back in for Dusan Vlavic, who wouldn't even pick up right. the fucking phone to talk to us. And now we're complaining about a guy who's fucking clawing and scratching to get into the Arsenal dressing room. It's yeah. for, all, for all we know, this dude could have been a lifelong Arsenal fan. Obviously, Alexander Zinchenko is here. That's, you know, his uh, com- uh, national compatriot. Like, there's so much there for him to come to want to come here, but sorry, I might crack on. I just want I to know, make I, I think those are all really good points. And you know, BX Gunner and 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 um, and Mike are not the only people who have you know who have put that point out there, talking about the professionalism. I, I just that to me is 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 a sign of a guy who wants to hit the ground running. Do we need him? Is a is the other question. And given that we that he may be more of a want than a need, as we used to tell our kids when they were, you know, when they listened to us, um, you know, that's where I think the negotiating. Well, 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 let me let me ask you this because you 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 put the question for do we need him? And I think that a lot of that comes down to when people have this conversation, it's always around Enkedia, right? Like, do we need him when we have Enkedia? And Kedia can get goals, blah, 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 blah. Same thing with that Jao Felix conversation. But I think what's not being talked about enough is ESR and Nielsen have had major injuries every year. Every year for like the last two or three years. We don't have any backups for Martinelli and Saka. We really don't. So it's like, is it is it a, a want or is it a need? I think it's a want, but I think it's one that we that that would be great to have. I mean, he, but but he is still also a risk. Mm, true. His his his, ah. his um, you know, his CV and and his 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 complete work is is a very small, limited sample size. We we really don't know whether he is going to hit the ground running in the Premier League and and be just a speed merchant who can finish, who's also... I mean, he could be everything that we want him to be and more. He could be, as the Shakhtar people are talking about, the next Mbappe or better than Mbappe, which, by the way, that doesn't exist. Uh, but, like, he could be that. He could also be the next Pepe. And because of that, we we have to draw a line in the sand because he wants to come here because we've because Gakpo truly has set the market 
for a player jumping to the Premier League who is good, has the potential to be great, but isn't the finished product yet. I've been saying this ever since I watched him play for PSV at Leicester last season, where he, he just looked like he you could see the player in there, but he was by no means the finished product. And every time he's played a Premier League team, whether it's Leicester, us, uh, I think there was one other Premier League team, you've seen that he isn't complete. And so Liverpool have paid a wonderful price for him that makes me very jealous that, you know, for a player who should be phenomenal, but isn't that yet. Whereas, you know, other players that players that the that, that teams have overpaid for, I mean, you can't point at Manchester United or Chelsea for overpaying because they're just lunatics. Um, you know, if, if uh, you know, I don't know what a better example of that would be. Maybe Grealish at, at Manchester City. They way overpaid for him, but the reasons for doing that were very different than the reasons we would overpay for Mudrick. He's a mayor, he's he's you know he's a, a David Beckham part two, or at least was seen as that. <laughs> so you know, it, it, Mudrick should not go for any more than like a total maximum value, in my opinion, and that includes you know the add-ons of sixty-five. And I think Arsenal would be foolish for paying more than that. And I think ultimately, if they wait it out, January could be a very interesting month of of social dynamic between Mudrick and his club. Um, you know, in a season where they're second, I think, in the Ukrainian uh, Super League or whatever they call it right now, and and really, there's in a three-team league, they're second right now, and and I think would be able to make the Champions League whether they have him or not. Uh, I, I just think that they have to sell. I, I think that uh, I think that there's a whole transfer show here, and I think that I can tell from all the comments flying past in the comment section that this is a, a topic of, of much interest. So maybe we'll come back and we'll expand on this a little bit, and we'll get a, and we'll get a, a journal who deals in. Uh, we'll, we'll get one of uh, one of our mates on who uh, who can talk about the transfer window as we go into it. We're gonna call Sebi. We can call Kaya. Kaya. We can call Charlie. We can call. <clears throat> James, I spoke to James today from outside Stamford Bridge. Benji, so if that's oh. something that you guys would like to see, do me a favor, go ahead and give us a like. Yes, I am shameless plugging in this show. I am doing the work. Um, Owen, I know Owen's got to go, so I really want to give a give him a chance to go ahead and exit out. Um, on the topic, real quick, just finish your f final thoughts on coming up January. What your transfer strategy is? And, <laughs> no, 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 no. Just kidding. Just. Jao Felix or Modric for you, and then you can bounce. Uh, I think that um, financially, the Jao Felix would just be an absolute mountain too high for Arsenal to climb at the minute. When we've seen all the all the work done to get that wage structure under control and to take somebody in as what I would consider probably a panic buy, um, mm. because of his use absence, I just don't think that he fits the profile. Very good footballer, but just not right for us at this moment in time. I think that I think that it's really important that. To get the ground worked on so that as soon as fucking New Year's Eve, I want Mudrick to be doing an old M wingy and sitting outside the Emirates in his car talking to journalists and get that wrapped up ASAP because <laughs> yeah, have well, fucking throwback. Old M Wingski. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but that's me. I got a bounce. So um I'm gonna let the boys finish finish off wrapping up um with yourself asking lads. It's been a pleasure as always. And um, people listening in the chat, fair play to you for listening to us. <laughs> I, I'd say um, it's good to see you again, but I but we didn't see you, so I'm but. I'm saving the big reveal for when we meet in January. I'm actually now fucking away six stone, and I've got fucking blonde. <laughs> Trans somebody translate that to me for pounds. <laughs> <laughs>
84 <laughs> pounds and, uh, and, and 40 kilo. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, maybe 39.6 or something like that. But yeah. Oh, and good to see you. I will be seeing you in, in I will be in your arms in three weeks. Lovely. Lovely. I look forward Lovely. to it. I'll, make, I'll see you later. I'll sure. All right. See you, boys. Bye, bye. Great seeing you, man. Here for me. On the right. Mudrick thing, I, I will say, like, Robbo put it in, in the chat. It said it was a need. And I, I do think, no matter where we stand as fans, I do think that the club sees it as a need. Uh, it, you know, if they were inquiring about Rafinha, and we were also linked with, uh, I think, Ferran Torres, who also could play on the flanks, I think the club wants to make a deal happen. You know, we, we, we keep on speaking about the, the striker because of Gabriel Jesus' Uh, mm -hmm. injury but i think midfield and, and winger are the two priorities over a new striker be it a backup to eddie or a second striker and making eddie third i think the club views it as a need and so, i don't think they commit to making a four the initial bid was like 40 50 some shit like that i don't you don't go that far unless you believe it's a good player and be you your 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 intent is to sign the player, so it's well, not a hundred mil, but it's a really fair offer. I think there's something to that because the first offer Arsenal makes is by no means the most they're willing to spend, and never yeah. is. And and so if they did forty plus twenty and they turned it down, you know, I, look, the the extra twenty mil doesn't do anything for me. Um, I mean, I only get half of that. So, like, you know, the uh, if the club if the club think that he is that all that and and a bag of crisps, as they say, um, then um, then then you don't want to get into a bidding war over five million pounds. But I am not used to Arsenal having the leverage, and well, Arsenal have the leverage, in my opinion. Here, quick question, because you know we're having this conversation. But isn't this conversation eerily similar? Because I don't disagree with anything anyone's saying, but isn't this eerily similar to the Ramsdale conversation and the Ben White conversation? Do we as fans need to like learn to I mean, not put the money aside? We don't want to become, because one of the things we went back and forth on the internet about was the 100 million transfer thing. And one of the things I think we both noticed was all of them are Chelsea and United. And we don't want to do what Chelsea and United do, which just is blow money on these players that turn out to not work out for them and then have these huge wages on uh, left over on the books. We don't want to go down that route. But do we need to trust the club a little more when they make these high valuations and, and maybe assume that if they're willing to pay the money that this player might actually be good? Oh, I'd be much happier being wrong about saying just leave just leave it and stop at 40 plus 60 and see the club go higher than that trust me i if the club go higher than that and they ultimately get him whether i think they paid too much or not i'm thrilled mm. all i'm saying is i'm not necessarily going to cast stones and and be depressed and angry if the club doesn't do that because I'm not so confident that the player is not that much. Frankly, when we spent 50 on Ben White, no one had the opportunity or the chance to really say, oh, that's too much, because they just went and did it. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, with Ramsdale, there was a bit of time to say, are these rumors true that we're looking to spend 25 or 30 million on Ramsdale, the guy who's been relegated twice? You know, th those different position, different level of risk involved. Um, and, and honestly, for me, being 
you know, the financial guy, I'm more thinking in terms of what wages a person earns than, than, than the, the, you know, cause you know, if we're bringing a guy in, who's going to demand two fifty three hundred 300 a week. And I don't know what Jao Felix, I mean, he plays in, um, uh, in Spain now. So I, you know, I, I don't think he's on 300 K a week, but you know, I think United would probably put him on three, three fifty, four hundred, just because he's got a name. That's what we got to be careful not to do. Mm. As we are re-signing, you know, hopefully Saka and Saliba and Martinelli to contracts that are going to be in and around the two hundred thousand a week range, we can't be bringing in a player unless he is undeniably just one of the top five players in the world or one of the top two or three in the position in the world can't be doing that for massive, massive wages, whether it's 60 or 80 million pounds, whether it's 50 or 70 million pounds transfer fee, that doesn't bother me so much. What I, what I would just like to see is Arsenal not get pumped, not get suckered into paying more for someone who is still a, a, a risky quantity, but if they think he's worth it, they've earned my trust and my respect for doing it. Uh, 1000%. Hers, a solid plan B looks to be this Jao Felix situation seems to be kind of hotting up. And what I mean by that specifically is I don't know if this is his agent and he's just being offered around an arsenal or just a great target for that. I suspect it might be. But there is word that it seems to be that he may be available for a loan, um, not necessarily with an obligation to buy um, at um, at the end of the year. Is that something somewhat of a plan B if we're not able to get Mudrick? Do you like the the way this player looks or did, do you have no thoughts at all on this? Or is he a negotiating ploy to try to get Mudrick at the price down because, hey, look, we've got other options. <laughs> Why wouldn't United and Chelsea's name come up? I, I think Mendes is doing what Mendes does best as far as mm. shopping him around. Um, so, and, and Mendes is Mendes. He has a, a crazy reputation, just like uh, Mina Reaola. So he's a, he's a kind of a cutthroat agent, and he's going to do his best to get his guy a move out. And I think what it is is Joe Felix is one of the higher paid players in Atletico Madrid. So, what would consider it like moderate to a low uh, wage almost in England, it, it just seems to be a really easy fit that he's probably looking for a club that could cover the majority, if not all of his wages for Atletico Madrid. If Atletico Madrid is going to loan him out with this small fee, uh, he, that means he can't go to Spain. He, I mean, he can't go to another team in Spain, can't go to Italy, can't go to France. So I think England is the best spot for him to land. But if you, it, it's kind of funny because you know, I, I like the, as Marcelo Bielsa refers to it as mm. murder ball. And that's all about high press, you know, killing yourself out there for 90 minutes. And that's kind of what Simeone does to an extent. And that's exact exactly what Joe Felix is trying to get away from. He, he doesn't like working his ass off in defense. He doesn't like pressing in that way. He doesn't like doing everything that we love Gabriel Jesus for. So he's in a really weird way. He's a more clinical and more flashier Eddie and Getia in a way. And I'm not, I don't, I don't want to say that he, you know, Eddie and, and Jao are at the same level. I'm saying that they're toolkit, so to say. So Felix is a player that, you know, even during the World Cup when he was shining, attacking, they were, they were asking him what's going on. And he goes, it's the system, you know, I'm happy here because he likes to attack. He wants to be a more free role type of attacker. So in that sense, I don't even necessarily feel like he he like 
fits in in what Arteta kind of likes to play in general. So it's a really interesting link for me that I, I, I see it as a throwaway link. Very similar to when everybody knew we were trying to get rid of Bellerin and everybody started talking about Hakimi because Inter needed, needed to sell Hakimi. It's just one of those incredibly easy links to make. Like, oh, Arsenal's down a striker. Guess what? We got the striker. And I, I think there's some links that are almost like lazy journalism, if you will. So um, allegedly, quality, we're, we're in for it. He, yeah, he, he's, this, he's, an, he's, a, he's a great player. He is above above Eddie and Getty in quality. I'm not going to say that. I was just simply pointing out the whole pressing and hmm. tracking back. It's not something that he necessarily enjoys doing. He's been very vocal with not liking to play like that under Simeone. So we, yeah, the little that we know with Arteta and how vocal he is and the expectation. Look, we're one of the only clubs that like. All of our players returned. Even our French player, Saliba, who was at the final, started over the weekend. There's others examples. I think you brought them up earlier, Aston, when I was hearing when I was driving over. There's other examples, Sancho, Phillips. There's another, Grealish, I think, was out there for a while, too. There's there's players that are, we, we got this devoted, fucking crazy obsession with football in our club right now. And it's just a character type of thing that I'm just pointing out that he wants away from Atletico Madrid because he's being asked to work his ass off and die for the team a la Simeone. Well, and... he's not being allowed to express himself there. And I mean, look, I, I hated when people would say that, um, you know, that Mezzarozzo wasn't being allowed to be Mezzarozzo. He just didn't want to be anymore. So, so I'm not saying that, but I, I, I don't, I don't generally criticize teams for holding back a player because I think it's the player's responsibility to, you know, and the coaches to make the most out of him. But, but one of the only teams that has a style that is just impermeable, you cannot disassociate the style with the team, with the coach is, is Atletico Madrid with Diego Simeone and Joe, Joe Felix, if he is as creative and, and attacking and, and, you know, forward thinking uh, of, of a player uh, as people say he is, he doesn't fit there. And and as someone said in the chat earlier, it was kind of predictable that he wasn't going to maximize his his performance. Well, the, the one game I saw them play, well, two, uh, against Manchester City in the in the Champions League last year, you know, the, the entire team set up in Manchester to, I mean, they set up in two banks of five. So Jao Felix was never going to get to to do his thing. And then the return match in in Madrid you saw some glimpses of what Felix was doing, but the, t but the, the way that game went, he just was never going to do that. So I think he, I think he'll do quite well in the Premier League if he makes a move, but I do worry about the kind of the wages and that, and, and, and that sort of thing for him. There's a lot of debate on that because you can Google him and you'll get two answers. One of them is, is what, uh, what Demsek says that he's on 155 a That's week. That's what I heard. Yeah, but then there's also other reliable sites that I've seen that have them at two at two fifty a week. Um, I don't, you know, I don't really know which is true. So, uh, you know, one might be after tax, one might be before tax, which is how they're paid here. Um, the rest of these numbers don't look too bad, too like too uh, too incorrect. So, I think uh, I, I tend to believe that he that he might be on two fifty a week, and you know. What is the loan price? The loan price is his full wage and fifteen million pounds for one season. For half, I heard season? eight. I heard eight. 
So eight million loan fee plus mm-hmm. pay his wages for half a season. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's a lot for six months. That's that's not your typical loan. That's that's buying a player and then not getting to keep him at the end of the year. And so I just I I, I just don't see I don't I don't believe there's a lot of smoke there. I think it might be um, either they're using Arsenal as a negotiating employee for United, and if they are, I don't want any bit of him. Uh, but it could also be Arsenal using that potential and putting themselves in the running as a negotiating mm-hmm. employee for Mudrick. You just don't know. I think we're going to end on this point, and 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 maybe this uh, this kind of like branches off of what you're saying, which is Jao Felix coming in 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 January would be are we going going for the league, right? And I think the ultimate question that we have to ask ourselves as fans is, what are we comfortable seeing? Because me, I'm getting PTSD from all the years before. I don't I don't know if we're going to sign anyone. And I'm already kind of trying to make my peace with that. And, and my question to you, uh, hers, is like, do we need to sign somebody to compete for the league and then to make top four, like, like have those be the final two questions. And then, and then we'll probably call it a night here because I mean, it's been two hours. I thank you everybody for joining us for this long. It's been fantastic, but we could do a whole transfer show. And like Mike hinted out there, we might have some connections for, for a better platform for this discussion. But I think that's a reasonable place to leave us because I think that's our question that everybody's asking themselves, right? Like are Arsenal going for the title and what does it mean? What does it, look like to go for the title when you're Arsenal in this position? So I don't think Joe Felix alone is enough to guarantee us a, a, a title. Uh, I am hell bent that we need a very good quality midfielder to come in because we, we often talk about what happens if Gabriel de Seuss comes out and we, we've seen it so far. We, we have Eddie and he looks um, fairly goodish enough so to say i think Dempsey put in where he says he averages a goal slash assist every 600 minutes or so is 320 minutes i think it's all i'm sorry if i'm getting the numbers confused so he's not not useful to the club but if you take out party and you insert oneni and i know this is going to be fucking brutal on oneni and lakanga but the drop off to them too is fucking Thanks, Mikey. Uh, the drop-off between Lakanga and Nani and, and Shock and Party is fucking huge. So mm-hmm. I, I think the biggest talking point right now is Jal Felix because it's it's an easy one. It's an easy slam dunk because Gabriel Jesus got injured. Uh, Mudrik, we've been after him for, since last summer, it seems. So there's plenty of smoke and there's plenty of reason to believe that the club always wanted a, 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 a winger to either help out Saka or in in some way maybe help out Martinelli even though Smith Rowe has been playing down the left a whole lot so it's really interesting to see where the hell Smith Rowe is going to play when he comes back because I know they, they kind of say he's like Udegaard's replacement but at the same time Vieira has been playing there Smith Rowe also plays in the flanks Smith Rowe has also been spoken about you know false nine etc cetera, etc cetera. so as far as top four goes I think it would take a massive fuck up, even if we don't sign anybody to to not qualify as top four, because I think our trajectory right now is is title contenders, 100, 100 and plus points. So for us to not finish top four, I think we could get away with not signing somebody and finish top four. As far as title contenders go, I mean, if we sign, 
I guess I'm popular opinion because a lot of people are speaking about a striker, but I, I guess if we, we sign Mudrik and with the caveat that he hits the floor running, which is a, it's a really big caveat because for all the, all the points that Mikey pointed out, we were, you know, like I, I saw somebody there say, you know, even if we loan Jell Felix, um, he still needs to acclimate to the league. And Jell Felix is highly touted as a better talent than Mudrik currently because playing in La Liga, playing in the world cup. And so, there's always that aspect, but another thing is for me is for me a major issue that I can't keep me up at night when thinking about the title, if you will, <laughs> to be dramatic, is the the midfielder. Like it because mm. we're we're we've been blessed so far that Partey and Shaka, knock on wood, have been I've been healthy. And Granit Shaka, I mean, shout out to him. I, I in case you guys haven't covered it because I know we haven't podcast for a while and I haven't been on this podcast, but holy shit. From being almost out of the club to signing a contact extension to being told by the manager, do this next season or fuck it, I'll just replace you. And to show up in the most fittest condition he's ever been. And all of a sudden he's a fucking free flowing goal scoring midfielder. I'm like, holy shit that, I mean, I think, I, I think there, there can be no more shock haters out there with, with the behavior that, that he's had with the club. Uh, so shout out to him, but long, long winded dude, winger and midfielder and quality midfielder, not just, oh, he'll never be able to debunk Partey or Shaka. I'm talking about a quality midfielder that makes it that, that actually fucking think like, oh shit, who am I starting at this big game? So we're all in on Enzo Fernandez. Let's go. No, no, real quick, real quick, no. before you go, last like little aside for you. I think we should reunite. Name. We should we should reunite Saliba with that uh, that uh, Moani guy. Moani, <laughs> Jesus, my. So Put if we sign Fabregas back to, we won't get him to the carpet. We'll get him to the couch. We could sign Fabregas. No, no, but seriously, could do you have any names in midfield that that? Have you interested? Is Tielemann somebody that you still look at? Should we break the break the bank for Enzo Fernandez? Is there some other mystery midfielder out there that we need to be looking at? Um, okay, so Rabiot was brought up in the chat from Oliver. Uh, I don't Rabiot. He's still a, a great talent, from what I'm I'm hearing. He still plays for Dubai. He did, he played great for for France in the World Cup. Um, that said, apparently his mom is is the like Asian, Ainsley Maitland Niles mom crazy. So <laughs> may, maybe that might be, you know, fucking insane. Um, Gilliman's is a, is a, is a, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, as Tom Canton pointed out, there's no signing for free at this point because he's within the league. So we can't sign a pre-contract with the player in the league. So we don't have to dish out money. That player right there, Milenica Savage is like dream fucking thing right there i mean he is a great player but as my good good mate kelly would point out there is zero fucking reasons for Lazio to want to sell him they are flying very very high in city a so i think that deal would be very difficult but as far as also the dream shocker. player goes yeah as, as yeah as far as the dream player goes oh yeah yeah i didn't even think about that yes yes yeah, that point too <laughs> yeah so Savage is a great shout, and uh, Tillemans is a player that I I personally really wanted. I, I didn't didn't see why so many people uh, were off put by him. Maybe because of the season that Leicester City had before and the run that they're having right now. But different players, different systems, uh, and I think he could make a pretty decent impact in our midfield. 
Okay, Mike, what about you? Do you think that we go into this summer, I mean, this January, do we need to make any upgrades to make that push? And if so, where? Um, I think we will make upgrades, first of mm -hmm. all. Um, I this, this January is not the same as last January. We have uh, a, I mean, last January we were in position to get top four. Uh, but we were also in position to not get top four. And the risk of bringing somebody in who wasn't the most ideal candidate was was huge. Why we didn't make a little bit more effort to maybe have a, a loan for some depth, which ended up hurting us at the end. Uh, you know, I, it wasn't it wasn't getting rid of Aubameyang and not replacing him that hurt us. It was the lack of depth in the back line. It was the shambles of a lineup we had to start against Spurs in the last couple of weeks of the season. And 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 you know and then losing guys on a red i mean it, it, it losing holding on a on a mat, on a ridiculous red ben white so, playing through injury you know ben white playing through injury which you could see really really clearly especially in that newcastle game cost him and cost us i mean it, it's that kind of stuff that costs us top four now we are in a title race we are you know we're not one injury away from falling out of top four. We're three injuries away from it, but we're not one. And so I, I, I honestly think that the club knows, and because they left some powder dry with as much as we spent in the summer, they were willing to spend more for, for Rafinha. I do think that there's money to be spent in, in, in January if they can identify the right player. I do not think that they're going to go and do something crazy and buy players just for the sake of buying them that don't fit the profile of what we want. I believe they've identified a few that you know that did. I don't know why we're not hearing more about this guy, other than the fact that he's 28 and 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 uh, you know until he's 29. But uh, older than my my typical profile. But the guy's been linked with Arsenal before, and I would take this guy in a minute if so, um, if Mudrick doesn't come. Mike, Mike, on that, on what you're saying right there, because you brought up age profile, I think one of the interesting positions that we're in with January is our wingers are like 21 and 20, and our midfielders are 30 and 30. So we yeah. have a very interesting task as far as like looking at age profiles and like where this team's going to go. Do you think that affects it at all? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, we have to we have to bring in players unless they honestly think that Lukanga and and Patino are going to be our midfielders three years from now, which I don't, I, I don't think you can just rely on that. <laughs> um, you know, if, if then there has to be somebody possibly with a, you know, with a more moderate age profile, 24, 25, 26, AKA Telemans or somebody like that, um, you know, would, and, and so I, you know, I, I just don't know. Uh, I, I tend to, prefer talking about people who are speculated rather than speculating about people who would be good because I just don't know world football to that extent. I, I, I don't play FIFA. And from your showing in the tournament uh, that we just finished for Gunners versus Cancer, you don't play FIFA either. Um, <laughs> I lost 1-0 twice. <laughs> and, and you lost 10-0 a couple of times. No, I'm just kidding. No, you did pretty good, actually. Yeah, um, especially because I was drunk. Well, you know. You you make games in the middle of the World Cup. That's what you're gonna get. I'm sorry. So just yeah. just sign Jude and get it get yeah. it over with. Please, hey Jude. I, the only thing about Jude is he plays in more of Jaka's position, and I really feel like what we're what we need is a parte. Don't you, Mike? Yeah, I do. 
other mic? Hers. Is it really? It picks up the click, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to, let me see. I'm going to, I'm going to do this thingy with my, with my uh, keyboard. Don't start, oh, hey, I shouldn't have brought it up because now you're doing troubleshooting uh, two minutes, two yeah. hours and 15 minutes yeah. into the podcast. I'm, I'm just going to cut out that. immediately. Um, yeah, but Partey is such a unique talent in general that there's very few players that you could think of. Like, if you tell me, hey, quick, give me a player that's very comparable to Partey, it, it's difficult. He's such a unique mm. player uh, as far as Sangare. being so defensively solid. Uh, Sangare, that, that's that's a name I've been hearing my my good mate Kelly and uh, Chris float around a whole lot. But, See, yeah, he, Charlie, it's difficult. You, know, you can start bringing up all these fancy hipster type of players. And then <laughs> yeah, I – I will pick up a copy of FIFA tonight, and and I'll be ready for the next uh, World Cup special for the transfer special. I'll go tick for tack with uh, James or whoever the fuck you you, you have <laughs> well, you just ruined that. Um, no, I, one last word before we before we go. Um, if you like talking to Arsenal fans, and you don't like all the toxicity on Twitter. Um, and you've been reading. Uh, I knew. I knew you were going to put your hand on your head. You've been reading the crawl at the bottom of the screen. There is a new community where you know. Ten years from now, we're going to be talking about this, and you're going to be like, "Look, man, what's Twitter? I've been on ArsenalFC.social for a long, long time, and it's amazing. It's a group of. Uh, so far, it's about 800 people, or almost at a thousand, and it will be at 10,000 and 100,000 soon. This is not a profit venture for me whatsoever. But it, uh, it 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 is the first and only sport related, much less football related, much less Arsenal related, named uh, server on Mastodon. So if you've uh, if you're familiar with Mastodon, if you're on Mastodon, if you've dabbled in it but you don't really understand what it is, uh, go to ArsenalFC.social, set up a profile. We'll welcome you there with open arms. And basically, it is just conversation. It isn't positive. It isn't. It isn't negative. It isn't. It, it, it's not one or the other. It's just. It's not filled with assholes. Is what it's not. So um, you're not on there. <laughs> so how many shares did you buy, Mike? Yeah. So so really, I have no comeback for that. That was I, good. I hope. I I hope to God, like like literally, Mastodon's great. I you guys should all join. I really really hope that Arsenal don't put out like an app or something as like some sort of competitor where people will be able to put social media posts on. I really hope that's not coming. Here here's the difference. Uh, That's Tom Canton's Discord. You're referring to us. (laughs) Well, yeah. Now look. Yeah, the club's not doing anything. Sure. I, I don't think the club's going to do that, but but uh, the, what people don't like about Twitter, especially right now, is that it is essentially run by the whims of a of, of, of a man who, you know, who some people might consider a genius, other people might consider a little bit not genius, uh, but, <laughs> but ultimately, Twitter is a, a a it is especially more now than ever a profit driven, single person run platform that is already so toxified in my opinion now am i still there yeah because you can't replicate seven years of building a following and building seven eight or in some cases 80 180,000 followers it's a lot better than you know than than going to mastodon and, and having to build your following up from scratch but 
it's also an opportunity in my opinion. And, and uh, you know, there, there's the, the goal is for it to be a self-run self-sustaining, very, very lightly moderated only because we won't need it because the people that are there generally understand that it's uh, you know, it's a, it's a place not to be toxic. Um, and um, it's got all the functionality and more of Twitter. You can do longer posts, you can edit your posts, you can post videos, links. Uh, it, it's I, I think people will find it very interesting. And if you want it to be, it could be just Arsenal. No other people looking at your timelines, joining in. No other bullshit topics. Um, you know, so not suggesting you should just cancel all your other social media accounts and go to Mastodon, but I think you should check it out. And uh, we've already got some people that you know and and uh, and respect that are there. Uh, poorly drawn is there, Aston. Uh, I know you look up to Jacob and and love his ass, and uh, and so he's there posting his stuff. So anyway, check it out. We'll welcome you in, and uh, I mean everybody can get in. And uh, yeah, and, and I'm offended that my closest friends that I podcast with on a regular basis put their hands on their head when I even bring it up. Well, so well, not me because we don't podcast. You, marathon, you will lose seventy pounds in like a month. I mean, it, it, that is the reason that I, that that you know my face is getting small. Is, is correlation this, is causation? Is this a social media platform of a pyramid scheme? No, but seriously, everybody out there, Mastodon, like like he's saying, there is an incredible amount of volatility with the social media services that are out there. Mastodon's a fantastic alternative with some big arsenal names that you all love, and you get to dire directly interact with them. And the more you interact with them and the more people that join, the more we can get more of these great um, Arsenal social media names that you're familiar with on the site. We've already got people. I or know become that one, become one without the disadvantage of having to, having to, you know, build a, a, a following when other people have, you know, 35,000 subscribe, you know, people it's a, it's a small but growing community right now. Um, tell you the, the, the recent goings on with Twitter and this, this server started with my my new friends Josh and Aditya, who are the technical geniuses behind this thing, uh, it started right after our game against Wolves, I think, and before the World Cup started. So we have had no arsenal to discuss, other than tangential stuff. Now with the game yesterday, just a, a a real a real interesting bunch of discourse going on about the game. You can even cross tweet. So if you tweet something to Mastodon, it goes to Twitter and vice versa. If if you want to. So it's not twice the work, but uh, just check it out. You know, you got to start somewhere uh, with with social media. And you know, the difference between a club, the club doing a, an app, is that the club owns and moderates it. Do you really want that? Do you want to be talking about the club to the club? I want to uh, stand all up in my tweets. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't want because that way, that way, if we all just type like Jude Bellingham enough, he'll finally buy him. But uh, oh, but he's, uh, in he, he, he's in our Mastodon server. Yeah, he he's run in the, the server. Yeah. The best part about it too is if you adopt Mastodon, Mike will stop pitching it to you. So it'll yeah. it is a wonderful experience. No, no, no. I, I'm serious though. It is something that if you guys want to build a community, and we are the best at building communities here at Arsenal. So please, everyone, join. With that being said, um, you know I, it's been great. Hers, it was great to see you again. I think this is the first time hers that you and I have been on a podcast at the same time. So I, I, I love having you here. I love that um, Owen dropped in. I know we had to leave. Maybe. Maybe, maybe just maybe one day 
we'll get all six of us on at one time and it'll be some sort of chaotic mess. We but until next but until next time, uh, what's up around the corner? We have Brighton around the corner. We have the January transfer window bearing down on our next. There'll be tons of Arsenal discuss, which means there'll be tons of us. Do me a favor. Go ahead and throw us a like if you like us. And with that being said, yeah, Mike, stay, stay tuned. We will even be having another rundown of, uh, of, of Magic Mike's magical mystery tour to England uh, in a few weeks. <laughs> Three of us, Owen. Jared and I will all be together for the Manchester United game. Um, and uh, and I will be going to my first away North London derby and hopefully able to sing the... Tottenham get better everywhere they go. Tottenham get better everywhere they go. Everywhere they go. <laughs> all right, Mike, take us out. Thanks so much, everybody, for watching. Take care, and we'll see you next week. Watching the Gooners Podcast, a production of TJP Media, wholly on subsidiary of Wanker Broadcasting Company Limited PLC. All rights and likenesses, except for Owens, are available for purchase and distribution according to the historical tenets of bird law. Make sure to check out the Gooners Podcast Patreon at patreon.com forward slash TGP. Find Gooners V Cancer at GoonersVCancer.com. And don't forget, get them credit cards out. The Gooners Podcast has been brought to you thanks to a generous investment from Elon Musk, as well as the letter G and the number 69. Remember, Gooner family, that Tottenham get better everywhere they go. TGP out.